It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Well, I'd like to welcome you again to another night of Rednecks Pride Outdoors, where we talk about hunting, trapping, and fishing. When we first started this show, we only talked about this stuff in the Northeast, but as it turned out, most of our shows, we get more people from South and East and out West, and uh, far out West seems to be too far, they're a three-hour difference, but we get a lot of folks from across the country, so our topics have been changing to uh, topics for around the country. Um, it's, a, it's a show where we want to talk about hunting, trapping, and fishing. And ironically, the trapping shows do the best. I know if I put on a trapping show, uh, there's going to be a ton of people either listening live like, the, like there is now, or there's going to be a lot of people downloading it for the next week. So uh, tonight's show, we're going to talk about baiting strategies on cages, snares, and in uh, snare boxes. We've got a lot of guests, guests on here tonight that's being quiet. They're not on the phone, but uh, even Bill Ford, I see Bill Ford. Bill Ford, get your tail on this show. Um, he's on there. You guys, if you have any questions, um, just write them down that little box. You're going to see that little box down there next to the green arrow. Just just type your question in there. Hit that, uh, that arrow there, and, and that'll shoot over to us and, and – if uh, I'm not jawing too much, I'll, I'll stop right then and answer it, or we'll we'll get around to it. Tonight, I've got a, a really good friend. I've known this 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 guy for many many years. Um, Mike Page. He's he's I don't well. Mike, you're in Florida now, so we don't know if he's a Florida person or or New Hampshire. We've got to ask him every time we're we're uh, I'm talking to him. On the I'm phone. in Florida. I'm in Florida right now. And, uh, uh, I actually live in Florida eight months, and I live in uh, New Hampshire for four months. Yep, we we go way back. We go back what 1990, I guess it is. Uh, 1990 at a uh, it started at a Northeast Leadership Conference, and uh, that's right, that's right. At, at a YMCA camp in New Jersey, we met. That's it, you know. And for you guys that's new in the business, back in those days. Uh, there wasn't even cell phones at that point, no, let alone no computers. Pagers. yep. And our hours on the phone, our wives would just, uh, if the phone rang and I'd say, hello, Mike, or he would say, he knows me as David. If he said, hello, yeah. David, Marilyn or Donna would just say, I'm going to bed because they knew we'd be yeah. on the phone for, for quite a few hours. So. It's a it's a privilege to have you on with me tonight. We go back a long, long ways. I also see uh, Jason Turner's on here with us. He's uh he's a uh, well he's from Arkansas. So I don't Look know how much can we expect out of you now, doggone. <laughs> Look out! <laughs> I, I pick on I pick on Jason quite a bit. Uh, he's a good guy though. Um, tonight we're gonna we're, we're gonna talk about again we're gonna talk about baiting strategies and. and uh, the reason I'm um, one reason I'm going to cover it on the show tonight is at the end of uh, March 
I'm actually due to do this uh, talk up at the New York Wildlife Conference on the 27th and 28th of March. And uh, a lot of guys have asked me to put this this show into uh, uh, into something they could either read or, or hear uh, because I've got a, a unique um, strategy, I guess you want to say. We developed it way back in around 1980, 85, 86. And um, the reason I developed this was simply back in those days, um, we was we had lost the leg hold in the state of New Jersey in 1984. Most of my wildlife control work from 79 to about 88 was what we could use footholds whenever we needed to or, or do whatever we needed to do for the raccoons or what have you. Around 85, 86, 87, I realized that the, the cage trap wasn't doing what I needed it to, to do. So I started to, unfortunately, I started to learn from my mistakes, simply watching animals work my traps and not get caught. And, and uh, we started to work off of those concepts of why a raccoon would come out of a hole in a house and walk right up to the front of the trap and walk away from it. Or uh, a skunk would walk across the yard and not get caught, or, or worse yet, them dumb squirrels, you know, uh, the dumbest animal on earth until they get smart, and then they're the smartest animal on the earth. So we're going to talk about baiting strategies. Mike, jump in here. Uh, I'm going to keep rolling until you jump in. Jason, the same thing. Um, just just jump in here, but just to, to, to familiarize you guys or, or to talk about, we're going to start off with cages first, then we're going to end up with uh, snares and then maybe the snare boxes. Um, the, the first statement I want to make, and this is going to be a controversial statement to many, okay? Well, and I don't care whether you're talking about ADC work or if you're talking about fur trapping, okay? Most animals are not starving. Most of the animals we're going now, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, coons, skunks, squirrels, um, whatever else comes up in the, in, the, in the conversation. But we'll use the raccoon, for example. The raccoon is not a starving animal. Everybody thinks they're hungry. Everybody thinks they're starving to death. And, and you can throw whatever you want into a cage, and that animal's going to go right into it. And I use this mindset to kind of slow people up. You've been working all day. You ate breakfast, you didn't eat lunch, you get home at 5 o'clock, you say to your wife or your husband or whoever, what's on the plate, what's on the dinner, I'm starving, get me something to eat. And you're, and my wife says to me, I didn't cook anything yet, I didn't feel like it, we're going to go to the restaurant. Okay, let's go. So we go there, I sit down, I'm starving, I'm hungry. Do I say to the waitress or waiter when, he comes, when they come walking up to the table, I don't care what you have, just bring it to me and let me eat it? Or do I say, let me see the menu? Well, the obvious answer is, let me see the menu, okay? Because even though I'm hungry, even though I want to eat something, I still only want to eat what I want to eat. That's the same mindset that most of our animals are running into out there in, in, the, in the fields. Now, unless you've got, you know, six feet of snow and your coyotes are, 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 and your foxes are, are not able to get the rabbits and all that, but we're talking about cage animals. We're talking about animals that can go into cages um, or, or be caught in those scenarios there. Your raccoons are in the houses or in a tree. They're down in the burrow of the ground, and they're going to hole up for six weeks, sometimes maybe longer than that, depending on what part of the country you're at, all right? And that animal's got that fat surplus on them to where they're hungry, but they're not dying, okay? 
And when they come out of that hibernator, they come out of that den, if that food isn't exactly what they want, they're still not going to eat it. So this mindset, this, 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 this is what got me started on the cage traps because I noticed way back in those 80s that, and I'll use Russ Carmen for example, there wasn't too much that I couldn't catch with the Russ Carmen lure. Um, it makes fine lure. Um, caught a lot of critters for me with the foothold trap. But when it came to the cage trap, using those lures and an old fish head or a can of sardines or whatever in the back of that trap, I noticed that I couldn't catch a cold in Alaska with my pants down. Coon after coon huh. after coon would, would just walk right on past them traps. And um, I, I remember what put the icing on the cake is one day I was at a job and we had set it up. I had a trap set up on top of the roof. And I did my typical baiting strategy, which, again, guys don't get mad at me, but I'm going to be straightforward tonight. It's what most most trappers do. You're going to take a can of sardines, a can of cat food. You're going to take um, uh, tuna fish. You're going to take your, your sandwich. You're going to take whatever it is, okay, and you're going to throw it in the back of the trap. And that's exactly what I would do and back in them days. I'd take that, and i put the trap up there. And I remember because it was getting towards dark period, I was just going to stand out there and watch this raccoon go into the cage. And, um, you know, my my uh, reputation back in them days was Jonesy could get her done. And uh, I remember standing there next to the, the young lady who owned the house. And with great anticipation, we waited for the raccoon to come out of the hole. And sure enough, the raccoon stuck its head up out of the hole, went up to the trap, smelled the top of the trap, smelled the bottom of the trap, smelled around the front of the trap, walked around to the side of the trap, and walked on off. And I can remember the customer looking at me, and I can't quite remember what I said to her, but I probably wasn't feeling too good at that point. Okay. Some time later, I had another raccoon job, similar to where I was watching. Raccoon come out of the hole, went into the trap, grabbed the treadle or the pan, whatever you want to call it, pulled it to it, reached over, grabbed the bait, and walked out of that trap. At that point, double double jeopardy, I was been humiliated enough, so I had to start figuring things out. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about um, strategies in which to uh, uh, catch these critters. Mike and, and Jason, you can chime in any time you want, buddies. Uh, uh, Mississippi, you can too. I'm, a, I'm, I believe Mississippi is Eric, right? Who's calling in from Mississippi? Nobody. Hey, yeah, Ron, what? it's me. Okay, buddy, good. Now I got three good yeah. talkers on here. All right. So the, the first thing I, the first thing we want to talk about tonight is, is the type of base that's going to go into a, to a cage. All right. Most of you guys, and, 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 and when I'm talking to the average guy, they want to use anything that they come across, cheaper, better, whatever. Great. No problems on that. We're not going to talk about my baits and lures tonight. I might mention my baits and lures, but we're not going to go into great de- detail on what my baits and lures do. That's not what this show is. This show is to, to, to help you guys uh, figure out these strategies. All right. But the first thing I noticed was this. Number one. That cage strap, I don't care where you set it. I don't care if you set it on the ground, out in the woods, on top of a house, 
in the bushes next to the house in the middle of the street. That trap was not there yesterday. Okay. And that animal knows it. And, and, you know, um, I, I don't care who it is. I don't care what it is. I will sit down with the best of you and I'll, and I'll, and I'll tell you, prove me wrong. But if you ever watch an animal, be the first thing you want to do is they're going to smell that front of that trap. Okay. I don't care how clean you keep your traps. And by the way, I don't wash my traps. Mike, do you wash your traps anymore? No, I do not. I generally don't. Unless, the only time I might wash them is if I decide I want to repaint them or dye them. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so uh, the, the first thing they'll do is, is they'll smell the front of that trap. What that trap rack actually is, is a negative. Okay. That animal's not afraid of that trap. Most of the animals aren't afraid of that trap, but that, that trap is a negative. No ifs, ands, or buts. It wasn't there yesterday. Curious. A lot of animals are curious about it. It wasn't there yesterday. Maybe it's something to eat. They, or, or something to investigate, okay? Yeah, and, exactly. And the one thing I really noticed a lot was that when these animals would come up to the front of these traps, okay, they would smell the trap, but they always paid a ton- attention to the door hanging above their head, and they always paid attention to the bottom edge of that door. All right, and I and I and for for a long time I was wondering why do they always smell the bottom section of the door? I mean, I'm talking about the very bottom of the door, and it's over their head. And and I've seen squirrels do it. I've seen raccoons do it. I've seen skunks do it. I've never seen a possum do it. But but I couldn't figure out why these animals are always smelling the bottom of that door. And then it turns out. Yeah, that's where where is it that the animal that's caught is going to work right. the trap the most? Right and, there at the bottom and, of that. No. Well, exactly. That's where he works the most, and he's gotten bait and stuff all over his hands and his well, paws, and then he's trying to work that door, so that's where there's probably more odor than any place on the trap. Plus glands. You know, where's the, where's the majority of the glands for all animals? It's going to be in the pads or the feet. So... That that smell right there is going to be the strongest. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to scare them. It just means that it brings attention to them, okay? The next thing I notice about animals working a trap is since there's a little bit of a caution on the front of that trap, what's the next move they'd make? Well, for most of us who throw that bait right in the back of the trap, where are they going to go? They go to the right or they go to the left of that trap because the majority of that bait is, or the smell is in the back of that trap and the animals aren't dumb and they can see in that trap and they can smell that trap. So what I noticed that they was going to do at this point was majority of animals will, in fact, go to the downside, downwind side of that cage and work the side. They'll go to that back section of that and, 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 and they'll look at that bait. They'll smell that bait on the downwind side of that, of that trap. Now, couple things is happening at this point okay that animal is now in its mind saying what do i want that or do i not want that it's that simple if the animal says i do not want it what's he do walks on just like that first raccoon i was talking to you about walked to the side of the trap saw the bait wasn't interested whatever bait i was using back in them days and it walked on off okay jonesy yeah. 
most of my, you know, when I was trapped in New Hampshire, I had hardly ever trapped using an open trap. I always covered the traps, okay? Right, right. I, I think they might be doing that, but it didn't give them any help. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Traps are all covered, you know? Uh, if they, their, their best view of the bait was from the front of the trap, okay? Uh, occasionally, you know, they'd come around back and dig a little bit, and but not uncover it, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, like I said, and, you know, I, I haven't had that option to be able to wait at any and, and see what they did. But I don't think they know they can get through a trap until they can try it. So if they go to the back of the trap, I don't think they have to try their way to get to the bait from the back unless they've done it before, you know. So it depends on whether a virgin animal has never seen a trap. He doesn't know he can't get through that wire yet. So exactly, um, exactly, and, um, and 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 like you said, and and if they've been in a trap, then they know they they know eventually they got to go to it. But but again, if you ever watch the the animals working it, you're, you're going to see them go down to the downwind side. Then typically, what they'll do if they want the bait, they're going to try to reach through. And if it was the if it was those big old uh, old style traps that we had with the 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 one by two wire mesh they could just reach yep. through and spring your trap off or whatever then they drop down to one by one mesh and they can still reach through and 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 spring it off um, most of the traps today safeguards uh, I, I even think tomahawk um, offers it I know uh, Comstock has the bigger stuff but uh, you know the animal comes to that downwind side if he wants it he's going to work for it he'll probably spring the trap off or he may come back out around okay hey Ron? yeah um, just correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a similar behavior that you see out of a canine when you're on the fur line, too, right? I have some video of that myself. It was actually on an ADC job, but that's what the fox did as he came to the downwind side, worked the back of the trap. Just, I guess decided at that point he wanted the bait and went, made a beeline right for that door, and I, and I caught him. So it's a similar behavior, whether it's a squirrel, whether it's a raccoon, whether it's a canine, whether it's a whatever. Uh, yeah, I think I think all animals are going to do that. Um, uh, actually, Mike, many many years ago, when I trapped with you up in New Hampshire with the, on the beaver, um, uh-huh. you had you had brought my attention to you know how they how they zero in on the uh, on the bait on the shore or the smell or the caster, yeah. and and um, you know that's I think I think all animals. If you watch your dog, if you watch your cat, you, even a cat, the dumb stupid cat probably has a better nose than most of us think about. Um, they, they're just they're just arrogant with it. Um, I, I but, would say dumb and stupid because I really just don't like cats. But they're, yeah, they're well, not too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Jason, like you just said, I think all animals are going to approach it the, the the bait from the downwind side, or for the trap from the downwind side. And so that's gonna affect your positioning of the cage. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's again, we're not talking about cage trapping, so I wasn't going to get into the positioning, but I but I honestly believe that. And that's that's where I got my strategies for debate was is if you because you can never predict exactly where the wind is going to be flowing. All right, I needed some way to keep this animal at the front of the trap, and I, and I noticed that. The, and again, it's common, duh. You know, if you say this, it's like duh. I know that's already, but most of us don't think of it. If the if the animal works hard enough, no matter whose trap you're dealing with. He's going to spring it if he's working it from the back or the top or the sides. All right. Eventually, yeah. that trap's going to get sprung. Okay. So what I, I used to what employees. No, number right. one thing 
put the trap in the right spot. Number two thing, bed the trap so that if he walks on it, crawls on it, pokes at it, pries it, pulls on it, tries to rock it, the trap doesn't go off, okay? Exactly. Those exactly. two things, you're way ahead of the game, okay? And, and, and baiting, like I said, then the baiting strategy comes into play. But you got to do those two things first, okay? Right. And, and we're, we're assuming everybody's got that. It's location, location, location. If you put the trap in the right spot, you might catch him just because it's in his way. You know, he might walk into it. <laughs> Well, that, and, uh, that's a, that, that seems to be the push anymore. I mean, blind sets or, 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 or walkthrough sets, and it seems like the, the new industry method is walkthroughs. Right, and a lot of times it's some kind of positive set, so the trap's right there at the hole, and you're kind of forcing them in. So, you know, right. But, uh, right. You don't always have that option, though. So. Well, what I, what I found was this, you know, and, and, and again, in 1987, and again, this, this is not promoting my stuff, but it was 1987 that I came out with my first two baits, and that was, that was uh, Gutter Done and, and Nomos. And, and the reason I came up with these baits back in those days was because I realized at this point that the trap line baits and lures, the Russ Carmens, the stuff that was really working great for a foot trap or, 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 or whatever in the fur trapping field, was lacking very strongly in, in the cage traps. And I, and I just couldn't figure it out until I sat down and thought about it. And here's what it is. Your typical trap line bait, okay, has a odor to it. That odor is going to attract that animal. That, that odor is to attract the animal from whatever distance, okay, and maybe it's going to be a food odor, maybe it's going to be a gland odor, maybe it's going to be a curiosity odor, whatever it is, okay? He just has but to get close to it. He doesn't have he, to eat it. Exactly. Now, the key with those odors was this, though. You take the odor and you shove it down a dirt hole, or you put that odor on a flat set, or you put that odor on up on a log or whatever. You always, the directions on the bottle says what? Place the lure or bait. Yeah so that the animal gets caught before it gets to the bait or the lure. And there's a big reason for that. And the big reason is this, simply this. They don't taste good, okay? They're made for smell. They, they're overpowering with the smell. They're, they're, and my trap line baits and my trap, my trap line lures especially are made to reach out 20, 30 yards, okay? They're made to, to grab something from a distance, okay? But I don't want him to lick it. I mean, uh, I don't know how many of you ever have. I have, and you don't want to. I'm telling you, you, <laughs> you don't want to. So some of, the was, really good, some, some of the really good smelling ones taste like soap. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And and I started to notice with the cage straps, okay, and I, and I learned this from, I hate to say this, from the animal control people and the people who had no idea what they was doing as far as catching critters, but... I started to realize that these skunks and these raccoons and squirrels was getting caught, and the baits that these people was using was taste of cake oatmeal raisin bars, pie, a piece of fried chicken, um, food, absolute food, okay? The cat food worked good for a day or two. The tuna fish would work good for a day or two. The dog food would work good for a day or two, unless you was a 90-degree heat. And then what happens? So, that, that, that stuff goes rancid and gets full of maggots in no time down here. 
Exactly, exactly. So I started to think about all this stuff. I started putting all this stuff together, okay? And my first, the first uh, strategy coming through with the strategies, actually before I came out with my baits, was this. I took pasty cake oatmeal raisin bars, and I put it in the back of the trap, and I saw that the raccoons, and we use raccoons, for example, was still working the back of the trap. So out of exasperation, I took that tasty cake oatmeal raisin bar, I'd break half of it up, put it in the back of the trap, and then put a little bit in front of the trap. And I noticed that the coon, when they would go to work the trap, they would go halfway down the side of the trap and try to work that bait from the side in front of the pan and then work, try to work the bait behind the pan. Somehow I got the ingenious idea to put a little bit of bait in, on the lip of the trap, and I started to notice that raccoons started to go into the trap at this point. And what was actually happening at this point was this, and I truly believe this, whether you're using fried chicken, uh, peanut butter. By the way, I hate peanut butter. I hate to hear guys using peanut butter. Your customers can use peanut butter. Your neighbors can use peanut butter. Everybody can use peanut butter, UADC guys. Do something different for a change. At least put some stinking food coloring in the peanut butter. All right? But what I noticed was that by taking that, bait and putting it on the very front of that trap, putting a little bit in behind, right in front of the truddle or the pan, and then putting some behind the pan, that when the coon, and again, you've got to understand where I'm coming from, I had the option or I had the luxury of watching animals leave the house and go right to a trap. Okay, I wasn't fur trapping, I'm ADC trapping at this point. Um, I would notice that the raccoon wasn't spending so much time smelling the bottom of the door. I was noticing that the coon would come up and just give a slight little smell at the door and then smell the bait and taste the cake oatmeal raisin bar. For you, for you guys here in the Northeast, you know exactly what they are. They're good. The problem with tasty cake oatmeal raisin bars is I couldn't keep them in my truck because I ate more than the raccoons did. All right. That's well. Hey. <laughs> I, I used to use sometimes as a change-up bait when I was having trouble, Little Debbie's pecan twirls, okay? Yeah, they're even worse. They're even worse. I, I, the trouble is is I, I would weigh 300 pounds if I could. I used to have to, having, having a cup of coffee, knowing they were in the back and I could eat them, I had to go grab one. So after that, if I decided I wasn't going to use them for some coon that was giving me a hard time, I'd take them out of the package and roll them in the dirt a little bit and then put them back <laughs> in the package. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be, you know, so. And like I said, for sighted tractors, I've always used marshmallows. Yep. And yep. I've been doing this for close to 30 years now. I can only remember one time where I ate marshmallows. I was so hungry, I ate some of the marshmallows. Oh, uh, no, I, I eat the marshmallows too, but not as bad no, as I don't, taste unless, cake you, unless, you to, unless you toast a marshmallow, I'm not interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what, so what I noticed with the raccoon, and this goes for skunks, it goes for possums, okay, or whatever you're dealing with, okay, this stuff here, all right, by taking what I've learned with, with the baiting strategy is, I want the animal, number one, at the front of that trap. I want the animal's mindset off the front of that trap, off the trap itself, and I want it on the bait itself, okay? And, and so I started to thinking beyond this. Now, what, how do I do this? These animals aren't starving. They're not, they're not dying of starvation. They're hungry. 
And then the chocolate chip cookie thing came into my into my uh, my head here. I love chocolate chip cookies. Uh, chocolate yeah, chip yeah. cookies are. I could just finish doing a seven course meal, and if my wife brings a hot chocolate chip cookie out of the oven, <laughs> I've got to eat one. Okay, and I've got to have a glass of oatmeal cookies. <laughs> I've got to have one of those hot chocolate chip cookies with milk, okay? And that's that's exactly what this strategy that we're talking about, that I'm, we're going to talk about tonight. And I guess I want more people to be writing stuff but or asking questions. But, but the, I'm always amazed, like raccoons, everybody thinks they, like, eat everything. And I had a dumpster at my other house, and I was always amazed at what they don't eat. Or they take a little bit of bite of this, and, and they they go through everything, and they nitpick. Okay, they're mm-hmm. not like they're just they're fussy, I guess. When when they have all different kinds of things, I think they want to see a little bit about what's available, you know. So it 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 kind of uh, exactly. They're not they're not starving. They're not eating everything. They're only eating little bits of different things, you know. So. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to appeal to that raccoon, skunk, squirrel, whatever, okay, with something that is not necessarily a food, steak and potatoes, but in fact, the Reese's peanut butter cup or the chocolate chip cookie oh, or the. I'll have one. Excuse me. So you got Reese's. You got Reese's. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> so, so that that same that mindset right there, okay, that 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 strategy right there of baiting the trap with something that the animal wants to have. Now, me personally, and, and this is where a lot of barroom fights have started. Okay, the number one bait that everybody's going to talk about for 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 raccoons is going to be what fish. It's everybody for some odd reason thinks that the raccoon is this mega fish eater truth of the matter is and i yeah. and i get I, I get laughing because the coons okay and, and everybody listen to this think of your location i don't know where everybody lives but i guarantee you that you're trapping coons either fur trapping or if you're doing adc work you're up in town where there's not a stitch of water within a mile <laughs> maybe two or three okay uh-huh. and them coon are still there and and I and I can say to the guys, I said, you know, everybody puts their focus on the on the fish, on the fish, on the fish, because somebody back in 1902 said coon like fish, and they do. Don't get me wrong, but like you said, Mike, that's not the only thing they're eating. But the one thing that most animals, all animals, have a craving for is what sweets. Now, when it comes to me, my my go-to bait cats out of the picture too. So exactly, that's why exactly. I've always gone that route. You know. Yeah, my, my, my go-to bait is going to be a sweet bait. Okay, um, especially in the summer times, in the in the fall, and in the spring, I'm going to sweet baits. Um, this time of year, yeah. um, right now, we're we're pushing at 20. I think we're I think we're at 18 degrees right now, uh, with five inches of snow on the ground. Um, hey, we were like 78, I think. We might have hit 80 today. I, was like, I think I put my air conditioning on. I was sitting in my car, and it was, I was doing some paperwork, and it was so hot, I think I put the AC on. <laughs> yeah, well, it was cold today. 
But I got the snow. I've got the coons running in the snow even even tonight. Last night, my we dropped down to eight degrees, I believe it is. And one of my customers said at at one o'clock in the morning, she pulled into the driveway, and the raccoon was sitting there on her porch, walking around, looking, nosing around. So you know, all all that snow, all those temperatures, raccoons are still moving around. But the one thing I've noticed is that that if I use a sweet bait, okay, that I can I can still pull more animals in. Just because it's a fish head, everybody throws a fish head in the back, okay, doesn't mean that raccoon's interested in the fish, old frozen fish head. If it's warm oh, yeah. out... I hear you. Go ahead, keep saying it. Because it, the average guy thinks, okay, and, and I talk to guys constantly, all right, why are you just throwing a fish head in the back? Well, that's what they eat. How do you know? Because that's how I catch coon, Okay. You caught a coon in that trap, but how many coon did you miss before you caught that trap? So I, I've, I've wasted a half an hour talking to that. I just want to talk some strategies real quick, and, and Mike, you add in there, and Jason, you've got well, some strategies. Go ahead. Okay. Um, right now, this, uh, I guess this is kind of going back just a little bit, but um, let's say you have um, let's say you have two ounces of of Whatever bait you you've got in your hand, I don't those oatmeal cookies or whatever you like to eat there. Um, right now, um, I'm hearing you say that you've got that you're going to break that bait up and you're going to put some behind the pan. You're mm-hmm. going to put some in front of the pan. Mm-hmm. And where I got lost was where does the rest of this go? <laughs> All right, here's 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 what I do, and and I'll break it. I got I got. Typically, mild season and cold weather season. Okay. In the in the at all times, at all times, when I set a cage trap for a skunk, a raccoon, possums, we don't care about, but but I do it with the possums too. Okay. Um, I am going to use minimal two baits, two types of bait per cage. Okay. If it's extremely cold like it is right now, I'm going to use three types of baits. If it's mild, most of the time I'm going to go with at least one, at most of the time two sweet baits. But if I want to change it up to a meat bait, I'm going to go one sweet bait and I'm going to go one fish or one meat type bait. And what I'm simply going to do is this. I'm going to out in front of the trap by about a foot I'm going to take each one of those baits and I'm going to put about a lima bean size blob of that bait. Tasty cake, sardines, got her done, no mo's, uh, whatever, okay? And I'm going to put a glob. And, and, I, and just to give you guys a point of reference, we're looking at the front of the trap and I'm going to put um, no mo's per se, on the right side, about a foot in front of the trap, and I'll put, say, my fish bait um, on the left side out in front of the trap, okay? And I'm going to take a marshmallow, and I'm going to put a marshmallow or an eggshell right there at the same spot, about a foot in front of that trap. Yeah, I do too. I I like marshmallows better than eggshells only because I don't eat that many. I mean, I eat a ton of eggs, but... The marshmallows well, I can buy for a dollar a bag, you know. 
I um, always use the marshmallows due to the site attraction. It, it's white on it glass. Yeah. More, more it than, and it, they're always gone, okay? But I don't think it's a great bait. No, I don't okay. think so either. Because if you just put if you just put marshmallows in a cage, you're going to miss a lot of animals. Uh, yeah. The marshmallow and Mike and I are both on on agreement. The only reason I use an eggshell or a marshmallow is for the eyes and the eyes only. Okay. Now they will eat it. Okay, but it's for it's for sight attractor. And I'll get back to what else I'm going to do with that marshmallow. Right on the lip of that trap. You're still looking at the front of that trap, Jason. Okay. And again, on the right side of that trap, I'm going to take my sweet bait, um, Nomos, and put it right on the lip, about a lima bean size. Now we're talking about skunks, raccoons, possums, whatever. Right on the right side of that trap. On the left side, on the lip of that trap, I'm going to put uh, a fish bait, my fish bait. And now it's because it's extremely cold. Right in the middle of that trap, on the lip of that trap, I'm going to take another sweet bait or whatever bait you want, uh, tasty cake oatmeal raisin bar, okay? And I'm going to put it right on the lip of that trap. Now, the reason, uh, and I'll explain it in a few minutes. The next place I'm going to do the exact same thing with all three baits, I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it on the pan. No mows on the right, fish bait on the left. Um, oatmeal raisin bar in the middle, right on the pan. And then behind the truddle, I'm going to put another my baits, boom, 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 all three baits, okay? okay? I'm also going to take one marshmallow and put it right on the right inside the trap. I'm going to take another marshmallow, and I'm going to put it right in front of the pan. And then I'm going to take two or three marshmallows and throw them behind the pan, all right? Now... Now I'm going to go to my bag, and I'm going to bring out a minimal of two lures. Usually I use three to four. But again, I'm going to use a bait, a lure out front, and I'm going to put a lure on the, on the marshmallow, all right? And I'm going to run a line to the front of the trap, and then just inside that trap. Then I'm going to take my second lure, and I'm going to run a line from just inside the trap, not touching that lure, to my to my pan, all right, and on my pan, and on the other side of that pan, whatever side I did it, I'm going to go on the pan, and then I'm going to go that lure on the back. Now, I'm going to make sure I hit these marshmallows with that lure, okay? I bet. So, something I forgot to mention, I, and this strategy here only works with taste-type baits. This cannot work. This strategy will not work with a lure or, or a bait that is made to catch the animal before they get to the bait or lure. A bad taste in bait, a bad taste in lure will not work in this strategy. Right? So, for example, on the marshmallow out front, I may use persimmon oil, okay? And I'll run oh, my like persimmon oil. Yeah, it smells great, doesn't it? Especially, yeah. Except when you get it on your nose, it sticks with you all day. You get it on your um, hands and you're like smelling it all day long. So I know, it I know. Go but away. I'll, it's like skunk essence. I'll run that first lure there, okay? Then I'm going to pick it up with the second lure. Maybe I'll use my sweet corn at this point. And I'll run that back to my pan. And then on the, and then the third lure I'm going to use is my midnight, okay? All three of these lures are taste lures. In other words, if you pick, if that animal licks it, it tastes good to them, all right? All those baits that I talked about are taste baits. So I'm not I'm not saying use my baits. I'm saying use fried chicken. Use you're gonna catch a lot of cats with fried chicken. Um, mm-hmm. Use uh, grape jelly. 
use um, uh, vanilla and and uh, maple syrup. Okay, um, whatever concoctions you want to come up, just so it's something that tastes good. And what I find in doing it that way, all right, is that the animal's caution level to the cage disappears rapidly. And I know Bill Ford's listening. He knows what I'm talking about. There's a yeah, few other guys. I figured out how to work the phone now. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know Eric down there in Mississippi. We've had a lot of conversations, and he knows what I'm talking about on this, this, this what we're talking about here. Guys, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the number one thing that's brought back to me when I'm talking about all this strategy, all right, the average thing that is said to me is that's a lot of hassle to catch a raccoon. All right. Well, first of all, for the ADC, that's a $275 coon for me. So that's not a lot of hassle. Number two, once you get used to baiting a trap this way, it takes you about 30 seconds longer to bait a trap this way rather than just take that trap and throw a, 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 a fish head in the back and, and set it up in there. Another thing is, and, I, and I've got guys who, who, who will attest to this, there are guys that have said to me, I ain't going to go through that hassle. And I said to them, listen, just do as I ask you to do. Eat 10 sets up and, and do as I ask you to do and then come back and tell me it doesn't work. And I have not had one person come back to me that did not report that they had a 50 to an 80% increase in their catches, whether it's fur trapping or ADC work, but baiting this way with, with the raccoons. All right, I've, I'll give in. I won't tell you who the, who I'm talking about. This one particular person, but he called me up saying he had some skunk jobs going. He had caught two skunks in about a week, week and a half. There was like five skunk jobs going on grubbing skunks. He needed a magic bait, and I told him, "Listen, you got any you got any cheese uh, its And he goes, "Yeah." I said, "You have any uh, uh, Rob Erickson's uh, baits? I think Golden Maze or something or lures?" And he goes, "Yeah." And I said, okay, do as Golden I tell you. Good it, it says it's my sweet corn. It's the same thing as my sweet corn, really. Yeah, but exactly. um, the, uh, I said, put a, put a few cheeses out in front. Take some cheeses and put it right on the lip of the trap. Put some right behind, right on the, right next to the truddle on, on the pan and put some That's behind the pan. I can't keep cheeses in a truck. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and and uh, yeah, I told, then I told him, take the golden maze. And just dip it because golden maize, I don't know if it's a taste bait or, lure, or taste lure or not, so just be careful with it. But just dip your golden maize, okay? And I, I believe it was a week later, I think he had caught 14 skunks in that time frame. From that point, from do, changing that strategy, over. And what he said to me was this. He goes, those Cheez-Its work great. And I said, it's not the Cheez-Its. It's the baiting strategy, okay? If there's anything I want you guys that's listening to get out of this, it's, the baiting strategy, what you're trying to do with the bait is take the animal's mindset off the negative and on to the positive. What's the positive? The baits. Now, by me taking two to three baits and two to three lure smells, what I've actually done is I'm segregating those orders. Bob Jameson, I used to keep this quiet until he let it out. Um, Bob Jameson um, said segregate your odors and there's absolute truth to that by segregating your odors all right 
you still have all these odors in the in in the in the cage, but they can distinguish where each odor is coming from. And what you're actually doing is creating excitement in that animal to where maybe he doesn't want the fish. Maybe he wants the grape jelly. Or maybe he doesn't want the grape jelly today. Maybe he wants the oatmeal raisin bar or the nomos or the got her done or whatever. He may not want all three of those, but chances are he's going to want at least one of them. Okay? And by segregating those odors, I believe it causes it creates a, a, a excitement in, in, in them, uh, especially if you've got another animal close by. Um, they're going to uh, forget about the negative and go into the positive, okay? Uh, any questions on all that stuff or any, any comments? Mike, Eric, uh, Jason? So, so you, you're taking the animal's focus off of the cage, putting it on the baits, but you're saying the baits are segregated so he knows where they're at, and it's, um, I guess it's like building anticipation, like I can smell that fish, I can smell that cookie or whatever. I'm going to go. I'm and he can smell the stuff in the back too. I mean, there, yeah. you know, a lot of times on that fourth lure or that or or fourth bait, or you know, whatever, I'll put a totally single bait and single lure back in there that that's not in the front of the trap. So as he's getting into the trap, that's okay. starting to hit him now. And yes, there's an anticipation. There's a little bit of a excitement. I personally believe that if you can get the animal's head under that trap door. And into the trap by a couple inches, you've, you, you're, you're on your way to complete total success. Possible. Once that animal gets halfway into the trap, all right, now that animal is more or less committed at this point. So, so it's really um, mind over matter, if, if you will, on, on, on that animal trying to get him into the into the, uh, the the cage at that point. So basically, the way you're baiting, you're creating, let's just use an example, a china buffet. You have, it might not want the fried rice, but it's going to want something. So it may just run in that cage and run around to see what it might want. Exactly. Exactly. You're, you're you're creating a, a, a an excitement in it, and and it's and it's uh, now I don't do squirrels that way, but I do raccoons, and and all my all my long fur or long hair fur is is done exactly that way. Um, and again, it literally today I because I'm doing that that talk up there in New York, I actually timed myself on baiting a trap, and it was it was approximately 45 seconds to do exactly what I just told you to do. Now. I had everything laid out. I have I have my bag with me. I got my three baits. Everything's already in my head as I'm walking up to the set. As it should be as a fur trapper, as it should be as an ADC guy, you're not going up there and fumbling around. You want to go to your set, and you want to get it done and get out of there. So everything was laid out. But again, I'm only using lima bean size portions of bait, maybe a walnut size if I want to. All right? So you're not using that much bait either. You're actually saving on your base and your lures a a a typical one ounce taste lure one of my taste lures you should get 20 sets out of it um now you're going to use three three bottles of lure on that set but you're still going to get 20 baited sets out of that one ounce bottle of lure and in adc at 200 dollars a coon for the first coon you've made your money obviously when even if you use the whole bottle of lure same thing even with a $10 raccoon. 
you buy a bottle of lore for five bucks, a taste lore, and you can get twenty sets out of that thing and you and you have an eighty percent catch ratio on those sets. You've made money on those on that fifteen dollars worth of lore that you have. There's three bottles of lore, five dollars a piece. That making sense to you guys? Yep. Now one more question while well, since sure. you got on to that. Your marshmallows that you use as an attractor, let's say, do you find it works better if you put the lure or bait on the marshmallows so they have something to go directly to, or does it matter that you're just using that to catch their eyes so once they get in there, then they'll start bouncing their head around? No, I'm using, I'm, I'm putting either the bait or the lure right on that marshmallow. Um, and, and let me, and thank you, Bill, for bringing that up because that just cave into why do I put the bait out in front of the trap? A lot of guys ask that. And because the, the misconception is don't, don't feed them before they get into the trap or don't feed them before they get caught. The truth of the matter is because I'm using such small portions, I'm not feeding them. I'm giving them that taste. It's like that little sample at Wawa or at, the, at, your, at your store. <laughs> they give you that little stupid sample to, to the next thing you know, you're buying it. Okay. I'm giving them that sample out from the trap where there's no negative. The negative is still in front of them by a foot or so. So they're, they're, they're standing there, and, they, and, and they, they get a sample of that bait. Number two is I can see what they want. If I miss the raccoon or something, and I look down, and I see the fish bait is still there, but the two sweet baits are gone, what am I going to key in on? I'm going to key in on the sweet baits. The third thing, which is probably the most important aspect of this, the marshmallow and the bait out front. I come back tomorrow. The bait is gone. The marshmallow is gone out front, out, out in front of the trap. Yet, the bait and the marshmallow on the lip of the trap is still there. Chances are, I have a trap-shy animal. Okay, why do I say that? He ate the bait out front. It wasn't enough to fill him up. He ate it, so he liked it. Okay, but he didn't take that bait on the front of the trap. Now, if I come back tomorrow and I see that the bait out front of the trap is gone, the bait on the lip of the trap is gone, and the bait up against the truddle or pan is gone, yet the bait behind the truddle or pan is still there, I probably got a trap smart animal. All right. So now I'm figuring this stuff out in one night or two nights rather than taking a fish head, throwing it in the back of the trap, and wondering five days later why I haven't caught anything. All right. So the strategy not only appeals to the animal, but it's also working on me knowing what I'm dealing with at the trap site. If I come back and there's no bait out going out front, then I'm going to look for tracks or what have you. And if, uh, if there are no tracks, then obviously nothing came by. Uh, if there is tracks and there's and 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 they didn't eat the bait, I scratch my head saying, "I wonder what happened there." All right. So. Uh, any questions? There's still a bunch of guests on here. I'm trying to see if there's anybody else has any uh, questions or, or thoughts. Mike, anything to add to the raccoons? No. I I count my marshmallows as a bait. Do you? Do you what? I count my marshmallows as a bait. No, I don't count it as a bait. I just count it as a psychic factor. I do. I still count it as a bait. Okay, but... I was just wondering if you did. No, no. I again, I, I because a lot of times, especially in the fur trapping industry, I will take the eggshells, and um, for each egg that you eat, you have two shells. What I'll do right. here at the house 
is I will actually preload my shells with whatever bait I want. So I'll have three cartons or four cartons. I've got two fish baits and I've got two sweet baits that I use exclusively or three sweet, uh, sweet baits for, for coon. Uh, I, one carton, I may take my good stuff, uh, skunk and coon bait, and put it in the in, in the eggshells. The next carton of eggshells, uh, I'm going to take uh, nomos, and then maybe my fish bait, and then my long call fish bait, and I'll and I'll preload all these half shell eggshells up with a, you know a lima bean size of bait. That way, when I get to the trap site, all I got to do is just pull out an eggshell, put it where I need it to go, and and, and I'm and I'm put my lure out and I'm, and I'm getting going. I don't yeah. believe the eggshell, even though I've seen coons eat the eggshells, I've seen the, the coons smash the eggshells and eat the bait out of the eggshells. I, I, I think the eggshells is more of a sight attractor than anything. And again, I go back to even when they go in after turtle eggs or bird eggs, you see that they break the eggshells more so than eat the eggshells. So, uh, yeah. I count that as is a, a eye attractor. I've even gone as far as taking napkins and put the bait on them as as sight attractors, and and let them into yeah. the uh, traps, and that's worked very well too. Yeah, a lot of guys will put a yogurt cup in there just to make sure they got some sight attractor in there all the time. So. Right, and they'll put that they'll put that in the back. But but again, like you mentioned earlier, Mike, and and I think it was uh, Bill or somebody else else mentioned. That animal standing at the front of that trap, and he's looking in that trap, and he's seeing all that sight attractor going back in there, and he's smelling all those odors coming back out there, and he's seeing your globs of bait that he knew, knows he, he likes to eat. I, I believe it's just it's just something that that triggers off, and they want to go into it, and they want to they, they they you know again I've seen the catch ratios come up anywhere from fifty to eighty percent, and um, I used to think I was a pretty doggone good coon trapper until I put a camera on a trap. And then I realized, especially on the old way of baiting, and we're actually going to set this up for the uh, conference in, in uh, New York. I'm actually going to take a video of, of, a, of a trap baited the way I just told you that I bait the trap, and then a trap baited with an old fish head in the back. And we're going to take the videos of them and, you'll, and, and show just how the coon reacts to that. And when I put the camera on these cages, because I'd come back and there'd be a coon in the cage. And I would think, man, I'm hot shot. I'm a hot shot, Jonesy, you know. But then when I put the camera on, I realized I was missing four to six coon before I'd even catch that one coon. And I was catching the dumb ones. Now, as a fur trapper, we're getting paid for the dumb ones just as much as we're getting paid for the smart ones. I know. <laughs> but as ADC, Mike, you and I, and Eric, we're getting paid. If we don't catch the smart ones, we don't get paid. <laughs> so, we got we to gotta catch we got to catch the last one, not the last one. <laughs> and that's another point I wanted to bring out. I realistically bait as if every animal I'm coming in contact with is trap shy or trap smart. And what I've learned by doing that is this, that if I wait to find out if i got a difficult animal to trap, I've lost three to five days, all right? Whereas if I just do it right off the get-go, the dumb ones are going to go in no matter what. And I may just get that smart one in real fast. Any of the guests got any questions? Nobody's hanging up except for a couple guys, which I knew that I knew they was going to leave anyway. Um, guess I four, got, five, six. Go ahead. I got a couple more. Um, okay. Okay. Um, it might have been covered earlier. I don't know while I was eating. 
I heard um, location, location, location. Now, with your cages, um, how close do you want to be on location? Um, do you think you know, when you set, you say, all right, well, that trail's there, but there's this trail. Will you set, like, two cages in the middle of two trails and try to draw them 10 feet each one, or would you just bunch up two on each trail, just use four tra- cages in that one location to get them to you? I am a firm believer in don't pull animals um, with cages, especially whether skunks or raccoons. They have a mind like I do. It's like a it's like a remote control in the hands of a of a guy who's channel flicking. I mean, bling 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 bling. And and I'll I'll give you an example of an experiment that I just did that will answer your question, Bill. I'm setting up uh, sites. Because we're getting, we're doing a video on for raccoon trapping with cages and or tra- raccoon trapping. And what I did was this: I took bait and marshmallows, and on these trails, right in the middle of the trail, I'd take a marshmallow and put a little bait on it, and put that marshmallow right in the middle of the trail. Then I would come to a wide area, okay, and five to eight feet on the upwind side of the trail. Now, heavily used coon trail. I would take another marshmallow with a piece of bait on the marshmallow and put it on the upwind side, five to eight feet. All right. I did that. I did that for five days in a row. Every bait in the coon trail was gone. Every bait that was five to eight feet on the upwind side of the coon trail was left. Exact same baits, exact same eyesight exact same smells okay and what that what that shows is this is what i what you've heard me say whether it's fall trapping or or winter trapping is the raccoon's mind is like a sieve he may see your bait he may not even see your bait his mind is on exactly what's in front of him what he's doing at that particular time and skunks are even worse that's why everybody complains about grubbing skunks um how do you catch a grubbing skunk in the yard get his attention that's <laughs> it's that simple. You got to get his stinking eyes on the trap before you can ever catch him because his mind when he's coming into a yard to grub for skunk or grubs for grubs is he's going after grubs at the last place he dug. Okay. So to go back to your my question. First, go ahead. My my first when I had grubbing skunks, my first line of defense location is to set traps before he gets to the yard to start grubbing. If you can figure it out, yep, yep. Right, it's, he's more he's more likely to be interested in your trap before he starts working on all the grubs. Okay, so find out where he's approaching and set your traps there. And I had very good luck doing that. Okay, and if or or I'll or I'll set it up right right at the edge where he's where he stopped digging yeah. last night, and I'll and I'll come in five six feet before that. Again, coming in from where he's coming. But Bill, to answer your question, if I got five coon trails there. And I'm putting five. I'm going to put five cages. All right. The reason is I'm putting that cage right on that trail, and, and just like in those tips over on my Facebook, from the Rednecks Pride Facebook, uh, I, can, I think I kind of alluded to that at the at tip number two or whatever. That I want the trap right there, so he bounces right into that trap. And I, when he bounces into the trap, I want him bouncing into the front of the trap, whether it's a T setup or an inline setup. So, to answer your question, if I got five trails there's there's going to be five traps i might also add as a fur trapper most guys will go in and they'll see a coon track 
and they'll set up on that. When I tell them, the heck with the single uh, coon, go down to where there's 10 or 15 coons coming together into one spot and set up three to five sets and catch all the son of guns there instead of wasting time setting a trap here, setting a trap there, setting a trap there for a single coon. You try to try to set the intersection so where things are coming together all the time. So it's right. kind of a a standard. You know. Exactly. Exactly. Even it's when I try, I, down in Florida, there's a lot of roof rats, and uh, when I go up and set traps up in the attic, I'm always looking for the intersections of where two trails come together. Same as fur trapping. Sometimes where four trails come together. Okay, that's where I want my traps. You know. There are there are a few places that some animals will go sometimes, but there's even fewer places where all the animals will go all the time. And, you know, everybody wants to set the places where some of the animals are going to go, but we as trappers need to set where all the animals are going to go. That way we're not wasting motion and, and, and momentum and, and, and baits and lures and, and what have you. Hey, Ron, um, I got kicked off, but I got back on with my cell phone. And, and but this question kind of relates back to um, your answer for this gentleman's question here, the specific one about uh, trail setting. You said five trails, five traps. And from your explanation to him, you're talking about setting uh, those are on the downwind side. I, I, well, if, if I'm setting a trail set, I'm setting that, I'm setting that, uh, that, that cage right in the trail. You. Either okay, with the you. either with the either with the um, opening of it running with the trap running with the trail. In other words, setting lengthwise in the trail. But if right. I if I can't predict which way the raccoons are actually going to be coming, so if it's a, if it's a what I call a highway, okay, I'm actually going to do what we call a T setup, and that is where instead of the trap setting in the trail with the trail. I'm going to I'm going to make the picture the trail as the top of the T, okay, and the trap yeah. as the long gone down. But again, yes, I'm going to as much as I possibly can face the trap to the upwind side of that trail if I can. Now, a lot of times you're going to get the quartering and you're going to get different winds and all that. But again, right. the, the the lip of that the front of that trap, a lot of times if I can. I'm going to make it so if you're using a safeguard or if you're using a door, you know, typical uh, Williams door or something like that, you know how the trap door sticks out way past the uh, the front of the trap, okay? Right. My my mindset is to make that door set over top of the trail, all right? So that when that coon's walking down the trail, his body, if he's just going to continue walking, his body is actually walking straight underneath that door. Now, why am I saying that? What did I, what did I allude to back in the very beginning of the show about where they smell the most. Yeah, they're looking okay. over their head at the top of that door. Well, he's, that, all that smell on that door is going to do what to him? Stop him. Yeah. Okay, so, so if he's in oblivion, you know, like we've seen skunks be, um, all of a sudden, bam, there's an animal smell there. He stops, and then, bam, now there's a, there's an odor of, of, of food. I've got, I've got a lot of multiple things that's making him, that animal, stop and concentrate we do that in squirrels all the time tape the hole up and screw the squirrel up um squirrels going past the trap daily for three days in a row i taped the stupid hole up and then i have him the next day and you say well, why i think i just screwed his head up is all it is i mean 
he went to jump in the hole and the hole was taped up. And he says, what the heck? And then there's a trap there. And he, oh, what's that? And he goes right in. I, I really believe squirrels are that, that, that um, dumb sometimes. And then other times, like I said, they, if you smarten them up, they're the smartest things in God's green earth. Yeah. Okay, one more question you just got brought up just now. Um, and if I get start answering my question, tell me shut up. Um, no, keep them going. You um, mentioned that your door, somebody else, one of these other gentlemen mentioned earlier too, the doors um, where the animals dig at the doors when they get caught and they leave scent. Now, I don't know, right, well, right now these coons are breeding. Um, the gland lures, <clears throat> urine, coon gland, uh, skunk. Do you um, think a little touch of that in the back would make some kind of territorial instinct? <laughs> Billy, Billy, you're killing me, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. You, you, I knew you were going to make me do it. Son of a gun. <laughs> hey, right, nobody else has any questions. i got to learn something. <laughs> right. uh, you know, uh, for coon especially, skunks even a little bit, especially the males. Uh, a little gland lure goes a long way, and and whether it's a red, I used to only use red fox or gray fox or gland lure, and that was one of our best kept secrets. We would, we would uh, at every cage trap in 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 the late season, I would take uh, uh, red fox gland lure, gray fox gland lure, and put a, a cat full in the back of the trap, and uh, the boars would just pour into it. Um, yeah, they they just they just love that, you know. So. Last year, at some, I don't know if it was on Trapper Man or which, where it was at, somebody asked a question about the, if if they thought raccoons and skunks would be afraid of coyote or coyote urine. And I and I went to uh, investigating it this summer and with uh, this, especially this winter, and we started to put coyote urine and, and coyote uh, gland lure in the back of the cages. And what we're finding out is the coyotes or the, the coons could care less. They're 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 going right in on the coyote gland lure. They're going right in on the coyote urine. In the summertime, when it's mild, I don't use gland lure as much, as far as red fox or gray fox. But I use a lot more of red fox urine. And the only reason I probably use uh, more red urine rather than gland is I want to keep my gland lures for uh, for the trapping season, so I don't want to use them all up. But um, uh, bobcat urine. Hey. Yeah, go ahead. Sometimes when I have I'm catching coons, I trap a lot with live traps in Connecticut. You know when I'm working for uh, uh, Tom Logan, and uh, a couple of times he says, "Geez, how the heck did you catch more coons? I ha- thought I had them all." I said, "Well, the woman said we're after one bigger." So whenever I have that issue. I just right. take a little evic- eviction fluid because that's generally what I have, which is raccoon gland and urine, you know, and uh, put a couple of drops of eviction fluid in the back of the cage trap, and it always produces some some big coon, you know. And mainly, mainly uh, boars, correct? Y- yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, and and that's what, that's what I was just ready to say that with the glands, uh, you got to really watch the the coon glands. Um, Sometimes that that can make your females go. Of course, this time of year you don't want to catch your females anyway if they're if they're bred. So, you know, a little bit of eviction fluid or a little bit of coon gland in the back will pull in your big boars, but it also yeah. may spook some of your little boars. Um, yeah, we already caught all the little ones, so we were. Woman kept saying, 
the cone I saw was way bigger than those you've been catching. And I said, okay, we'll fix that. <laughs> right, right. Well, you got to remember in the, in the wintertime or this time, you know, January, December, January, and February, if you're after the coons, that boar, he's ready for a fight. He, he, yeah. he's ready to kick butt. And, and, uh, the gland, I don't know if the red fox and, and, and gray foxes, the, what it is in it, but I know it works. Um, I know a lot of the uh, big coon boys out in the Midwest have been using it in their dirt holes for years. Also, it's just one of those things that, that, uh, works very well. Raccoon urine, I don't find works as well as an attractant. It doesn't hurt me, but it doesn't work as well where, uh, red fox urine, gray fox urine, the coyote urine, and especially bobcat urine. The problem with bobcat urine is you're going to catch cats. Regular house cats in the in the cages, um, but that's just that little tidbit. You want to put it back in the in the back of the trap. Um, thanks, thank you. Want to thank Bill for bringing that up because I wasn't going to. Is any uh, anybody else got any uh, questions or thoughts or on on the Cajun cages? Well, when I got cut off too, you you had just basically finished uh, talking about your procedure, and you talked about a fifty fifty to eighty percent increase in, in catches using that real consistent procedure. And that's the right. last time I got kicked off. Was that about what you were? Why don't you just look at my had GPS? You, had you covered everything at that point? Yeah, I mean, when you got kicked okay. off, I just covered a little bit more that that you and I already, uh, you know, you personally already know because of all the okay. conversations we've had. But you know, okay, I, I, again, I think I think the, the 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 biggest important thing for for most guys to realize is for, you know, guys get stuck in ruts and and they do something the same old same old even though it's not getting the results that they want, yet they're afraid to try new ways of doing things because they're afraid they're going to fail, and and you know failure is 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 not trying something new and learning. Okay, because even if if you try something new and it doesn't work, you still learned. All right, and right. and again, you can't make your occupation on it. But but on the same token, you can't ever figure out what rules to break because most rules are written by who man, and the problem uh-huh. is our animals don't read them. All right, <laughs> so so it's it's uh, I'm a, I'm the biggest rule breaker out there, and 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 Jason, you know that talking to me. Um, sure. You tell me there's a rule. I'm going to break it just to see if it's true. So when, it, when, when we're talking about these, these cages and, and what have you, if, if, the, if people will take a taste bait or a taste lure, put it out front, okay, then use whatever lures you want in the back that's not taste, you're going to get those results. You're going to see, and again, I challenge anybody listening to, to take me on this challenge, and, and uh, if it doesn't work, call me and tell me I'm full of BS. I, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I've been told that before. So, you know, but, but for me, I've been doing this for so many years that it's so second nature. Like I was telling Bob Noonan the other, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we was talking about these baiting strategies, that it's so second nature to me, the way I do it. If I don't do it, I feel like I'm cheating. I feel like I'm not doing my job. Um, again, you don't have to use three baits at every trap. You can use one or two, but I'm, I'll guarantee you, if you if you use a single bait and a single lure and then halfway into it, keep your same bait but change up to a second lure. And then on the third 
put a third lure, you'll still see the same concept. You're you're adding different dimensions inside the trap, and it's and it's it's creating a um, a, a positive. Now for squirrels, I don't bait that way. For squirrels, I put about the size of my fingernail on the front lip. I'll put about a lima bean size on the pan, and then I'll put a a lima bean size behind the pan, and I only use one bait, and I may use a lure every once in a while, and that does very well. But again, my baits, no mows or got or done, is going to be taste baits. Okay, the animals love to eat it. I can take it and and I and put it on a fence post, and the squirrel will come over and you just see them eating it. So, the key to this strategy is using a bait and lures that taste good, not something that just smells good. If you're going to use something that just smells good, You've got, to, you've got to continue on with what the manufacturer said. Keep the base and the lures in the back of the trap. Do what Mike said. Cover that trap up or get it into the brush so they can't work the side of the trap. Um, let them have sight attract, whether it's a Mr. Twister or crash bag in the back or, or uh, those pecan uh, uh, bags or whatever you want to call them. Little, little Debbie pecan. Yeah, little those. Debbie. Yeah, them things. You know, put the bag in the back. Uh, Eric, I, I heard Eric. He just hangs his pecan bags in the back of the old hound and just catches them that way, right? Right, Eric. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> hey, hey uh, give us a little bit more on 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 double bait sets for uh, your squirrels nowadays. I, I don't believe you when you say only use one. I am most of the time. I'm using one. Most of the time, I'm either using no mows or I'm or I'm using got or done. Um. Very seldom do I use a second uh, bait. Now I will set two or three traps up, and each trap have a different bait just to just to verify which trap, which bait they like best. But for the squirrels, I'm using again a, a smidgen at the front, just right on the front lip. Um, a, a little bit of the lima bean size on the on the uh, pan, and about a lima bean size on the. Uh, the, and behind the pan. Now I can get typically I can get 40 plus uh, baits out of our uh, baiting traps out of uh, an eight ounce jar. I've got one customer that gets 60 plus um, baitings out of an eight ounce jar. So um, you don't need a lot of bait. You, you you need a taste, and that's I think that's where a lot of guys get themselves, whether it's squirrels or raccoons or hippopotamuses. They try to feed the animals instead of just giving them that little taste. Just give them that little bit of taste so they like it and they want more. Um, remember, Acme, uh, the lady standing there with the tray, would you like to have another bite? You take a little bite, next thing you know, you're running down the aisle trying to figure out what it is that, that, that she had. Comment? One more question. I'm in. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, let him go. Go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I, I'll comment. Um, I I have taken your your double scent or your multiple scents on on that one or two squirrels that won't work, and, right. and throw something else in there. Um, that persimmon, that's a good worker. Um, right. For for us, you know, for where we are, that works for us. You know, just throw that extra little scent in there. I mean, that's kind of what this is about is is scent technique. Um. And I personally like to run a little bit up the side of the the front door, right or left side. It doesn't matter. Just something where, when that like you say, when that nose comes across, 
it picks up on something. And then I'll go on and I'll put a little bit, you know, a bait in the back, a bait in the front, and maybe just another touch of that in the back of it. So it's just kind of mixing it. It's something different. Um, and, yeah, you know, and, and, and while you're talking about that, I'll, I'll bring out something else that I didn't mention. I never, ever, well, no, I'm not going to say ever, but 90% of my time when I'm setting a cage and I'm baiting that cage, except for squirrel cages, because my, my squirrel cages I tape up with duct tape, okay? But yeah, even but at you that. Use single doors, too. Yeah, I use single doors. Yeah, real men use uh, single doors. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> No, real positive set. <laughs> but, but that's uh, what it comes down to. <laughs> but when I when I'm baiting my traps, when I'm baiting my traps, I'm not reaching in the trap, guys. I'm taking my bait and I'm sticking it right on top of the trap and pushing it down through the top of the trap. And there's a reason I do that. Is and 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 then we go back to our foothold days. You have you have two air columns on a foot on a on a on a on a foothold, right? A dirt hole. Okay, if you're trying to draw an animal any distance, any distance, the first thing you know that everybody knows that that smell coming out of the hole is going to roll along the ground and it's going to go X amount of feet, whatever that is, however far it is. I don't know. Ten feet. Okay. By taking a scent or a lure and bringing it up five, six feet or four feet or three feet above that set and hanging it. Now you've got a call lure. Okay. Every every foot trapper knows that that technique. That's the exact same thing I'm doing with cages. I'm taking that trap, that, that bait, and I'm, and I'm pushing it on the top of the trap, and I'm pushing it down through the top of the trap. Mike Page, I'm going to give you credit for this, okay? Because, because and you know what I'm going to say on this. You used to take yeah. your apples and squish them yeah. through, right? And you're going to squish them through the top of that trap, okay? And your exact words was, I think they can smell it better. Okay, and I remember that back in 91, 92, whatever it was, you, we was talking about that, okay, and, and, and doing it. And I went to that concept. And I, oh, and, it was grating apples, pushing them down through and grating them for woodchuck traps, okay? Right. Uh, right. And I was grating it, in, and I used to grate it into a some cabbage, and the cabbage was like a bowl of cabbage underneath and that was side effect, but it was also to keep all that stuff off the ground so it smelled better, you know. So, but, uh, and, and the odor was now you have a two you have a two level odor flowing through there. You've got the odor on the top because the bait is still on the top, and then you got the odor on the bottom. Okay, and you've got two airflows now that that's flowing, and I also believe that that adds adds excitement to the animal or or makes him throw his caution to the wind. So, um, you know, we'll. Little little things like that, and, and I remember with Newt Sterling and I doing the uh, South Jersey trapping and snaring school. The first class that I was doing, with, the first class we was doing, I was demonstrating that pushing it down through the top of the trap. And Newt's looking at me, and says, "You don't do that all the time, do you?" And I said, "Yeah." He says, "Doesn't the coon crawl up on top?" I said, "No, because I want him in the front of the trap. So if we're doing our job the proper way, he's not crawling all over the top of the trap. He's going right in the front of the trap." Same thing with your squirrels or, or what have you. I'll take the duck well, tape. My traps, my traps, because I like covering my traps for a lot of reasons. For one, it, it focuses them to the front of the trap, okay? Right, and right. So when he's in there, nobody knows he's in there, okay? Nosy neighbors don't know he's in there, so the trap door is closed, and I only want the customer to know that the trap door is closed, okay? 
So, and uh, like I said, I don't need the neighbors knowing what's over there. So, and like, and you got me interested in, because in, you used to track the woodchucks and you you had a smorgasbord of everything. And yeah. that's what turned me on. And I remember you had all kinds of chopped up apples and everything. And I just yeah. thought it smelled better when I grated it through the top of the trap because the smell of apples just went everywhere, you know. Yep. And everything else, I just grate through the top. Top if I was using woodchucks, you know. So, but a lot of stuff. A lot of. Go ahead, Jason. Go ahead. Oh, so this was your this is your strategy, except for squirrels. This is raccoons, skunks, and what have you. But not well, and, and 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 squirrels. I'm not going to say I've never used a third or third or fourth lure on a squirrel like like Eric said. You know, you you, you get a you get a, a problem squirrel. Uh, no, you, you're I, trying everything, but but uh, yeah, typically I'm going to use yeah. Go ahead, yeah. No, I was just talking about uh, running the bait to the top of the cage. No, I'll do that with squirrels too. Okay. I do that with squirrels too. I'll cut a hole in the duct tape so I can lift okay. the tab up and and push it down through another thing. Uh, for for uh, since we're talking about scent with squirrels, and yeah. you guys, it's the guys that's got uh, weak stomachs don't don't listen. But um, if if I got a a, a a female that's in heat, I will actually, um, and I got a squirrel that I cannot catch, and I know it's a dominant female again. Going back to the six phases of squirrels, the one that's going to be causing the problem is going to be a dominant female. I don't care who you are, it's it's going to be a dominant female. And that one that's not going to be caught is a dominant female. And what I will do is I'll take that old squirrel that I just caught that's in heat. And obviously, she's dead at this some point. And I will actually use her female juices off of her vagina area and put it in the back of that trap. And you not only will catch males, but you will catch that dominant female a lot of times. Because what what's actually happening at that point is she is smelling a female squirrel that's invading her territory, especially if that trap is set right there beside the entry point hole. And, um, 2015. Oh. 2015? Yep, squirrel lure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you, I've even taken, and I hate to say this, I've even taken a Q-tip and, and, and run it along that area of, of a female squirrel and hung it in the back. And that's all you use. No baits, no lures, no nothing. Just just that Q-tip with that odor on it. And again, you will catch every male male squirrel, but I'm after that female. All right. And yeah. she just she doesn't want to tolerate that female in there. If I could get if I could get enough squirrels to make me a couple quarts of of, of squirrel glands, um, I could I could I got a I got a recipe for uh, squirrel gland lure that works great. I just can't get enough squirrel glands. It takes, well, it takes well, a lot. <laughs> will them southern ones work on them northern ones? I don't know. Eric, will he? If, I don't know. If, if, I think if they're cute and they talk southern, it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a squirrel's a squirrel. You know, uh, if it works on I mean, a female squirrel. squirrel, it's a female squirrel. <laughs> I will tell you something. I'm from, you know, New Hampshire, and uh, I do squirrel work down here in Florida, and the squirrels down here are wimpy. Uh, They just, they're half the size, and they don't near as aggressively try to get back in a house when you exclude them out. In other words, some of the things you can do here, you wouldn't get away with 
in in New Hampshire because they chew right through what you did. Okay. Yeah, you're not going. You're not getting and away from Jersey. Here, yeah. here in Florida. In, in Florida. Yeah, he's in Florida right now, but he but in the winter in the summertime he's up in he's up in uh, New Hampshire. And part of the problem maybe is the squirrel. I think part of the problem is the squirrels are twice as big in New Hampshire as they are in Florida. And the other thing is, if you kick them out of their house, it's cold out. They want to get back in, okay? Uh, if they don't have another place to go, they try really hard to get back in. So I, I think also it seems like they have another place to go. So also, that's, Mike, that's why you know, they run the, a bigger trap up there. Well, no, I, I, in, in the Northeast here, we've been doing we've been doing squirrel work for years. I mean, I'm 36 years. Mike's going on 30 years. Um, you know, it's it's we've we've been doing squirrel work for a lot a lot of years, and I, and I think our squirrels up here um, have uh, adapted, if you will, to to knowing that the houses are where they need to be, and and they've been chased out, trapped, and taken down to the park and turned loose, and and the whole kit and caboodle. So. They'll they'll work harder to get in the house because they like Mike said it's colder it's a bad it's a it's it's the and they just know the game they just literally know the game where you get into areas that I talk to guys who's you know just getting into and the industry is just now getting into their area their squirrels are totally different it's their their squirrels are acting like um, is there any smarts to them at all type stuff you know back like I used to catch one. You know, in 79, 80, 80, 81, you know, squirrels was relatively dumb. Um, yeah, they're not all that way, though. <laughs> no, no, but um, <laughs> I won't say nothing. Um, they they can be, you know, they can be certain areas, I believe, if you, closer to a city like St. Louis, uh, Chicago, um, those areas there where squirrel work's been going on as long as I've been in the business, and I know guys that's been in these things, the same thing as those squirrels. Some squirrels are super, super smart. They're just they just know what's going on. So it, it's it's all I, I believe it's a lot of pressure uh, that's being put on the squirrels and how smart they'll be. Yeah, he's saying those southern squirrels are dumb. Well. <laughs> No, no, no. What he's trying to what he's trying to say is that that he knows I've educated a few. That's what he's trying to say. <laughs> but he wouldn't say it. I think everybody's educated a few of them. Well, if I say part of the issue is that the southern squirrels that I'm dealing with here in in Central Florida are half the size of the ones up north. Yeah, occasionally oh, yeah. they have. Yeah, a good- they have they have a good size one once in a while, but that's just that's kind of like a juvenile up north, a good size one, you know. So well, now don't the squirrels up north have fur in their ears to keep warm? And they, <laughs> our, and know, our they squirrels have, have scarves, dude. I mean, they, our our <laughs> squirrels wear scarves. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the squirrels have seen. So what? Some of the squirrel tails are what? Mets wouldn't want them. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Mets fishing lures, they buy squirrel tails. They wouldn't want some of the ones down here, so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that. Well, what what, would you say, Mike? Uh, We get get 27 to 32 cents a tail up there, up here, and they get 10 cents down there? 
I don't. I, I don't. Know. <laughs> yeah, like I said, you, 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 you can see through most of them. You know. So. <laughs> Is there any questions on baited snares? We're we're running an hour and a half. Is there anybody wants to? Mike, you said you something about this. You wanted to hear about the snare uh, box. Yeah, that's one. It kind of piqued my interest what a snare box was. Okay, and. Some, I'm assuming it's some kind of tunnel that you're going to send them through, maybe out of wire or something, but I'm not sure. But what I did, yeah, what I did was, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, and and again, we teach in the trapping school that one baited, one to two baited sets will cover the same area, okay, as ten snares. And in other words, you know, if you if you have a raccoon, raccoons walking down a stream. You could put in a, a couple good baited sets, and you're going to cover the same thing, mm-hmm. same area as you would with ten snares, because you've got to put a snare in every every uh, trail right. in order to cover the same amount of area. So um, we, uh, as I was sitting there thinking about our coon boxes, you know, everybody knows about the coon box. It's got a three, it's got a uh, one twenty or or one sixty or yeah. or two twenty, whatever guys are using. And I think Eric said something about. Baited buckets, and I'm not going to go in. That's the same as your snare box, buddy. Um, oh. But but what what I uh, started thinking is I'm thinking, well, there's got to be a way that I can incorporate this snare because I can't use a foot trap here in Jersey, and I can't okay. I can't set a conibear on dry land. Okay. All right. Um, so I had to come up with some sort of situation to where I could use a baited set for coon to get the same advantage of a baited set, but but use a snare. So what we've actually came up with that, that's working really, really good is, is I take a box, and this box is, is, is 8 inches wide, 10 inches high, okay, and it's 24 yeah. inches long, okay, and I'll put a wire on the back of it. And I, the reason I put the wire on the back of it is I want them to be able to see, you know, uh, hardware cloth so they can see through it. I want them to be able to see yeah. through it. And what I found is I can take my bait, and I'll take a marshmallow, usually a sight attractor, and a, and a and a good taste bait or or lure, and I'll put it in the back of that trap, at the at you know just inside that wire, and he can't get to it with through the hardware cloth, but he can see it from the hardware cloth. Now I'm going to take my snare and I'm going to set my snare. Usually I'm going to go with a six inch snare, all right, and on the box I'm going to go just a little bit lower because the six inch snare is going to put me four inches at the bottom of the snare at the at the front of the box now typically my coon snare that i set is a six inch uh, loop six inches off the ground in a normal trail set that's what my normal coon set is but in the box here i'm allowing it to go lower now and and you'll see why in a second out in front about a foot or two foot okay i'm going to take the same baits that i got inside there and I'm going to put them out front with another marshmallow, all right? So as yeah. the coon's coming along, he's going to come up to that bait. He's going to eat the bait. He's going to like the bait. Now, I don't put any bait right at the front of the box. I only put the bait 24 inches back in there, all right? And the reason I'm going yeah, 24 well, inch box is gotta, because... You've got to make sure the 24 uh, inches to make sure he doesn't try to reach in and grab it, because otherwise... Well, I got, it, I, got it tw- I, I got it 24 inches for another reason, too. Yeah, that's six inch inch loop. That number. That's right. That six that six yeah. inch loop for it for as the coon is walking through that snare and he's pulling that snare forward. Okay. 
he's going to step through that snare at four inches to the bottom of the loop. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If he's if they're stepping through a six inch loop, six inches to the bottom of the loop, he's definitely going to step through that six inch loop, four inches. But as he's stepping through, my hopes are I either get him on a seat belt or I get him stepping through with both legs. As he's going back in there, he's pulling that snare to him, taunt, all right, to where that snare is almost closed as he gets to that bait. It's one movement to the back of the bait. Now he's got his bait. He's eating the bait. Now either a seat belt catch or a, a, a body catch behind the, behind the front legs, all right, now, as he goes to back out, what happens to the snare? It either locks up on the seatbelt position or it locks up behind his front legs. All right? Yeah. And then I have enough lead on, on that snare box, on that snare cable, to get him wrapped around a tree, you know, five, six feet away from that box so he doesn't yeah. check the box apart. You know? And it's that simple. It's, 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 it's that simple. And it's, I'm amazed at how many guys will not try it, who will not think about it, I tried an 18-inch um, V board. In other words, I, I made the boards in V. I made the box in a V with a little opening in the back, 10 inches high. And I caught a lot of coon in that, but I also missed a lot of coon because it wasn't far enough for him or that coon to to get in and get that get that lock pulled down to the body. Now it wasn't it wasn't a cable set. Don't 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 think it was a cable set. The cable set doesn't happen until he starts to back out. He gets to the end of the cable, and he realizes he's stuck, and then he janks and jerks, and then now he's got his cable set. And for the guys who don't know what a cable set is, is when you have a snare hanging, the animal is – there's two ways of fire on a snare. There's either the, 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 the bottom swing out, which causes the, the snare to fire, which is what we mainly use for canines and, and, and stuff like that. And then there's a downward fire, okay, and which is what I mainly use. If you heard my snaring, my coon snaring talk uh, a while back, I think Jason, you heard it. Um, yeah. the, I talk a lot about downward fire on coon, and the reason is when you watch a coon walking through the woods, when he comes up to a a patch of something, okay, they lift their front. Their front uh, forward leg, the the leading leg, when they lift that to make a step, where is the foot? Usually right even with the head. In other words, it's usually right underneath the the jaw of the the raccoon. Um, So as they're walking through stuff, they're not jumping. They're crawling over. So the raccoon is used to lifting its leg up and pushing it through that little opening or over that twig or or over that brush pile or whatever. He's 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 crawling through. He's not he's not leaping like a like a fox would. So when they come up to that snare, that little snare loop, and even though it's six inches, his leg and head is going through that loop ninety percent of the time the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's why guys are getting seat belts. That's why guys say to me, I've got a six inch loop set six inches off the ground and I caught a twenty pound coon by the back hips. How does that happen? It's simple. When he's coming through that loop, he's 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 putting his foot through at the same time he's putting his head through. And then chances are, if it's a swing out trigger, like we use for canines, he's now putting his other foot through because as he's pushing on the bottom of the loop straight down, 
the lock is actually wedging into position. It's not firing. It's actually wedging in position. What fires that snare out off is that swing out causes a cork, what I call corkscrew on the on the cable with the lock, and that little turn of the lock left or right forces it to corkscrew, and then it fires out. When you set a snare with a downward fire trigger or downward firing motion, okay, where you're taking, you push your finger down on the on the snare and it fires off. Now, when he puts his first foot through there or even his chin or, or his other foot, the pressure on the snare down fires the snare, fires the lock down to hit the body. Very, very important in a snare box. You cannot have a snare to throw in a fire with a swing out. So in other words, when we're testing your snares, most guys will hang, hold the snare, say, in your left hand. You take your right finger and you push away from you, and you're seeing how well your, fire, your snare fires at that point. Instead of doing that, you want to take your finger and put it on the, on, the, on the cable and pull down on it to see how well it fires. That's what you need. You need that downward trigger to happen in a snare box. If you don't, you want to have mist coon all over the place. And as far as your, your loop placement on a box like that, are you uh, basically right at the lip of that box, or are you back one or two inches with the, some blocking? No, I'm out front. It's like, I'm, I'm either right at, at the lip or out in front just a little bit. Uh, okay. if, if I think I've got a real, real big coon, I might even come out uh, three or four inches um, off of that off of that front of that lip and then actually just put a stick on each side of that uh, snare to keep it from going in on the side. Yeah. And, and again, if you're coming out that far in front of it, if I'm coming out three, four inches or whatever, I might actually go bigger or loop too. I might, I might go to a, to a seven or eight inch loop just to give him a, more of a picture going through. Again, you, you need that fire down, and and um, if you don't have that fire down, you're just going to have a bunch of pulled off loops. Yeah. And um, what would be the purpose of using that set as opposed to just setting a cage there? Ease of carry. Was that, right, okay. I, I didn't know if it was, was cost-effective to use a snare um, versus a cage because some people, you know, the cages are 30 40 bucks, a snare is a dollar. Plywood you pick up at the construction sites uh, out of the dumpster. I just didn't know why you would, why you would, as the coon guy, would go with a, that instead of a cage. Well, if, if I've got to walk in a ways, okay, to that spot, Again, as as we said, if you if you go to my tips or if you've listened to my other show when I was talking about the snaring show, my I'm a firm believer in don't set the one coon, set the spot where five where you can catch five to ten coon in five to ten days or five, in five days. That's what I've always said. I want to set the spot where I can catch five to ten coon in five to seven days. Boom. So in order to do that, I may have to walk in a hundred yards. To carry three cages a hundred yards is a royal pain in the butt. But I can take my coon boxes or my snare boxes. They're open at the bottom, okay? And if you put a little bit of a bevel on your box when you make it, so in other words, it may be eight inches at the top and nine inches at the bottom, okay? You can literally take these boxes and stack them, and you can carry four or five of them back um, to to where you're going and, and a pocket full of snares. So, so uh, ease to, to carry them back is great. Also, I can take these boxes and leave them out year long, and and as we're getting into the uh, the close to the season, the, the ne- next year, I simply go pre-bait them. Um, 
go go start loading bait up into them and getting get the coon used to hitting them. So that way I can get those five to ten coon in in, in five to seven nights uh, in, in those spots. So that would be one of the, the one of the, uh, the 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 avenues of doing it. If you're going to leave the boxes out, I would recommend using uh, uh, pressure treated lumber. I've I've gone with the uh, regular pine and sometimes within a year and a half, two years, some things are so rotted you can't use them again. So, um, you know, you want to make them. Somebody put on here an 8 by 8 by 24 box. Can you do this for a fox? Uh, if so, what size box? I've never caught a red fox in one of these snares and in one of these boxes. Although next year I am going to be setting these things up in gray fox territory because I believe that they will be extremely well do extremely well in gray foxes. And the reason I'm saying is this. Gray foxes can be caught in cages if you if you work the cage right. In other words, there was an old timer about 20, 25 years ago that was known about catching gray foxes in cages. And, the, and I couldn't figure out how he was doing it. And how finally came out how he would do it is he would go out in the summertime and he would have these square wire boxes if you will all right one by one mesh with no front and no back just just a just a tube if you will and he would pre-bait these areas all through the summer He'd come in and throw some dog food in that and then maybe two weeks later come in and throw some dog food in that spot and just keep putting dog food in these spots all summer long when it came trapping season he would just take that wire box and replace it with a trap with with a cage trap and the foxes were so used to going in and, in and out of these wire boxes that he could literally catch these gray foxes like that. So that same mindset, I, I'm going to try to put to use next year in, in the uh, with the snare boxes. I'm going to go to these locations and pre-bait them, try to get the uh, the foxes used to, uh, the gray foxes used to going into them and, and see if we can't catch a bunch of uh, gray foxes. Will it work on reds? I don't know. I, I, I can't I can't tell you. But I would definitely... If you're going to go to a box for a fox, I would definitely probably go a 10 by 10, if not if not 10 by 12, giving plenty of room to uh, to feel comfortable. That that was for guest state. Did that answer your question? I don't know if you did or not. All right. All right, so one, let's get back just one real quick, just bounce back a little bit. Um, your baits that you're using, okay? I go on all these different trapping websites and everything else and read all these articles. Um, now, you said that you use this no-mo stuff and persimmon and midnight and corn all year long. Now, everything I read, and I don't believe everything I read, says that when it gets cold, and different people have different ideas of cold, that they stop using the sweet baits and switch over to the rotten meat and the stinking fish and all that. Do you, obviously we're in Jersey, so we don't get, you know, minus four in the heat of the day. Um, do you feel that you have to change or do you stick with the same baits? No, I, I go with the same baits. I, I and, and again, let's, let's, let's look at this thing in, in, in a logical fashion. Okay. What is actually happening in the cold? Scent, scent is depleted. Okay. The, 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 the reach, what I, what I call reach out power is gone. Right, so we all know that that a sweet bait or or a or a, an ad you know a bait that you can put in somebody's kitchen is going to be a lot easier smelling than 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 a old rotted fish head. 
um, the the mindset with with the the sweet baits not working is, and I hate to say it this way, but Mike hit it already. Location, location, location. If you if you are trying to pull an animal five to ten feet in the cold, it ain't going to happen. I don't care if you're using a fish head or what. That that somebody posted up there, most fish lose the odor when they get cold, and that's the absolute truth. Unless it's rotted, it's it's not going to smell that bad. So I mean. Um, unless you took that old fish head and soaked it in uh, liquid smoke or, or, or strong garlic, okay, then then there's there's no odor coming off of that to speak of, and the, and the odor is actually reduced. So the average trapper out there honestly believes that the sweet baits won't work because they're not pulling that coon five, six, seven feet, whereas you take that same cage, that same snare box or whatever, and you put that right on the trail with great jam on a marshmallow and see how fast that dog on coon grabs that grape uh, that, that jam with the marshmallow, all right, or eggshell or, or whatever. Now, Billy, you know me, and, and, and Mike knows me and all that. I prefer to use prepared baits, okay? Am I going to tell you that prepared baits are the only baits that's going to work? Absolutely not. But I like prepared baits because if it's prepared the proper way, you've got a bait that's going to withstand 102 degree temperatures versus the minus zero. All right. In other words, it's not going bad. In order, when when a, when a lure maker or a bait maker puts it into a jar, it hopefully is at at that point to where it's not going to change anymore, and you've got a bait that's consistent right straight through. You can do the same thing with a cupcake. You can do the same thing with a piece of uh, chicken. You can do the same thing with a whatever, okay? But in your extreme temperatures, that bait is going to change. And like Mike said, uh, a can of sardines down there in Florida is going to uh, go bad in three days with maggots and everything else, all right? So, um, Ants a lot of them, too. Yeah, yeah, you know? so Ants find everything down here. Yeah, marshmallows too. They tear marshmallows up and oatmeal raisin bars. But you know, so getting into that that concept of does a sweet bait not work in the in the winter winter time when it's cold? No, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just they're not getting the the sweet bait under the coon's nose. The same thing with with uh, that smelly bait. Now here's here's a key with that smelly bait. Does the animal want to eat that smelly bait? Most smelly baits are put where down in a dirt hole hanging from a tree or whatever. In order to do what? Catch the animal before they get to the bait. The, the trapping mindset. With cages, you're not going to catch many animals with that. Let me rephrase that. You're not going to catch the animals you need to catch with that mindset. You're going to catch animals. You're going to catch those dumb, stupid ones. You're going to catch the ones that's curious. But if you're really going after numbers, you need to have something that they want to eat. And I think I think most of the time on those strong smelly baits, Mike, I think you're going to agree with me, that they're not coming to eat that bait. They're coming for curiosity to that bait, just like a dog going up and smelling another dog's crap, or <laughs> or or something like that. If they have no intention of eating it, they're just coming up to 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 investigate. Do you agree with that, Mike, or disagree? Yeah, it wasn't there before. Exactly. Okay. And uh, like I said, it, it, it'll attract everything and check it out, you know. Maybe, and maybe there is something there to eat, but if it's that smelly, there's probably nothing there to eat. And like I said, that bait was designed to put 
so that you, uh, the animal walks past it and you catch them before it gets to it. The only thing I've seen that was smelly and nasty smelling and that every dog or coyote or fox will eat is a cat dropping. Um, and I ain't figured that one out yet. <laughs> you know, but it's funny you brought up cat droppings. This year, so far, I've caged two mink. Both mink have been caught in cages that have had a cat poop in it. And I've used muskrat. Was, I was going after uh, coons. I used muskrat and left the coon turds in there, and I caught mink in both them cages. Yeah, I don't know what it is with cat <laughs> droppings. Um, it's just it's, somebody said the cat's intestinal quality isn't that great, and there's a lot of undigested food inside the cat droppings, and that's why dogs want to eat at it. Um, I don't know if that's true or, or not. I just know that a, a, a cat dropping can smell awful bad, yet a dog will eat it, and a coyote will eat it. Um, sounds, sounds like you need to get some cats and try making a new baby. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, guest eight said to me, he goes, how did you get your homemade jarred bait from exploding in your in your pack after a couple days? <laughs> but you you got to get that stuff. You got to get that bait stopped before you even jar it. You know that's where uh, that's where that's. I won't go into detail because I'm a manufacturer, but that's called stopping and fixing, and um, that's where you're going to have the ventilation coming off, and that's where that bait's got to completely go through all its process of whatever it's going to do to change. Because as soon as you uh, put it under pressure, that baby's going to blow if it doesn't. So, you know, for example, my uh, fish baits, for example. All right? I got a long-call fish bait that takes two years for me to, to be ready to jar it. Um, I've got a, a couple other baits that's a year before I even think about putting them into a jar. So your homemade baits may smell good and, and right now, but if it's blowing up in your pack, in your in your back your backpack there um that baby ain't done yet <laughs> you, let it have some air in other words let it breathe off um what i tell guys to do a lot of times when they're making homemade baits is put it into a plastic jar not a glass jar put it in a plastic jar and put the lid on and see if and see if the if the jar starts to swell uh if it's starting to puff up and get fat open that baby up Open up slow though. Don't 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 open up fast. Learn that the hard way too. You open it up fast and it might get you all in the face. All right. Another thing you can try once you get it to where you like it smelling, if you don't go through all that fix it, is is keep it frozen till a couple of days before you want to use it. Then just take it out in batches that you'll use it in one day. Yeah, that's good in trapping season. Yeah, in the trapping season that works great. In the summertime it don't work too hot because it's, because again it's if you're if you're doing ADC work, it's not going to work well. It's going to oh, blow up. I, I keep mine downstairs in Tammy's refrigerator. Yeah, but I mean you're tra- you're trapping. You're not. Yeah, yeah Tammy's going to kill you when she hears that. <laughs> yeah. But. Jason, you got anything else, buddy? Nope. I'm waiting to get on to the snare, and then I'll ask more questions. All right. Go ahead. Well, just go. We we got, we got about ten minutes before we got to get off here. So, what, what's your questions with the snares? Oh, no, no, go ahead. You just do your little bit about them, and then I'll just go from there. I'll, I'll just, what I'm doing is I'm just picking your brain as you go along because you get me thinking. <laughs> well, you know, with, with the snares, <laughs> what, I, what I learned again with the snares and, and, and uh, how, how do I say this? If you've got a really good population of animals, 
okay, high density of animals, then you can hang a snare just about anywhere you want, and you're going to catch the critters. But if you get a low density of animals, you're going to hang a lot of snares to catch one animal. And 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 the the mindset was this, you know, when you've got say 50 fox going into a um, 300 acre farm, you can you can load that up because those 50 foxes are going to be covering a lot of ground in a lot of places. So therefore, you can take these snares and you can hang them, and you're gonna you're gonna catch half those foxes without even thinking, just because they're 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 everywhere and they're competing with each other and they know it. But you have two foxes going into that 300 acre piece. Now you you need two to three times more snares to catch those two or three foxes because the trails that they're using is less used. Is that making sense to you? Yep. Okay. So what I started to look at is that when our red fox population started to drop off, I needed sets that I could, instead of hanging 50 snares in an area or 20 snares or 10 snares or whatever, I wanted to make it so I could hang five snares or six snares. And again, using the same concept of one or two baited sets covers the same ground as 10, 10 uh, snares. I came up with some, some sets that are not 100% every time you set them, they're going to make a catch, but they made catches enough to where if I got a low density of animals and I don't want to set a ton of snares, I can go in and key in these locations, locations, locations. In other words, there's a lot of areas that some animals will go sometimes, but there's only a few areas that all the animals are going to go all the time. I can go into these spots that I know the fox is going to be at every time he goes into these spots, and I can put in a some type of a baited set to draw him into it. One of those baited sets that we'll take, that we'll do, is I'll take my, my truck or, my, or whatever vehicle it is in a grass field, and I'll drive straight into this grass field for about 20 feet. And I'll try to do this. Say there's a little woods road or a little field road running around the perimeter of this field. I'll get on the predominant downwind side of that field, all right, to where the wind's blowing from the field or that grass area onto that road because we know the foxes and the coyotes, are go- mainly the foxes, are going to run that road. And the smell is blowing from the field down onto that road. I'll take my vehicle and run straight up into that that grass field by 20, 20 feet or so. All right. Then I'll go, then I'll back up and I'll do that three or four times. So I've got a main rut, two tracks going into that, into that, that, uh, field there at the end of that field where I stop my vehicle, I'll usually, I'll go in and I'll take my shovel and I'll dig a hole and I'll make, make that hole. Maybe it's going to be a, a foot in diameter hole. Maybe it'll be an eight inch in diameter hole but I'm going to bring that dirt up and I'm going to make a big pile of that dirt right there. So any animal that sees this trail and looks down that trail can see that pile of dirt. And then I'll take whatever baits I'm going to use. I'm usually going to use a bigger bait. I'm going to use like maybe a little uh, uh, pheasant carcass that I, that I shot and I breasted it out and I'll throw the pheasant in there. Maybe I'll use some old deer meat or, or, or whatever. And I'll put that bait down in that, that hole there. I'll then take a stick or, or some type of something and get get a scent that's going to be up around six to eight feet, you know, five, six, seven feet up off the ground. And you can use something like a skunk or you're going to use some type of a call lure. And what I found by doing this is 
getting that bait down in there within a within a, a week or so, if that animal, if those animals are hungry, they're starting to look for food. They're going to know those dirt holes are there, all right, and they're going to want to go up down that trail. Well, out here at the road, twenty feet back, guess what I put? I put a snare. Now I don't put a dirt hole in each one of those those uh, tracks. I put a dirt hole in one track. And why do I do that? Because what I found is most of the animals that I've ever caught in this set was coming out, not in. And what I believe is this, that an animal smells the, the bait, and instead of going right down that trail, they circle in from behind, all right, and come in from behind. And, and I'll give you an example why I think this happens a lot more than we anticipate. When you have a bait or, or, a, or a smell that's concealed, if you will, in a, in a grassy area, the animal wants it, but he doesn't know if there's something down there he can't see. And now this all stemmed from a few years ago. I was the night before turkey season. I had uh, old Tom lined up in a tree or where I knew he was going to be, and I just happened to be out that night before the turkey, before the opening day, and I was watching this, this, this one Tom out in this field, and I wanted to see which tree he was going to go up into. And as I'm watching from about 150, 200 yards, I'm up on a hill just watching down on this field here. A bunch of hens come out of the woods, and they're doing their stuff around this, this old Tom. All of a sudden, the hens threw their heads up, and they looked down towards the, w- the woods, and, man, they just go cutting like a cutting a rug, man. And they're, they're, they're making tracks to get on out of there. And they ran about 50, 60 yards across this open field, and went right into this little patch of grass. Now, I could still barely see the hens moving around that grass, but they ran into this this thick grass. The tom is standing there like a statue, and out of the woods pops this coyote. And the old coyote must have heard those hens, and those hens heard the coyote coming or whatever. But he made a beeline for right where all those hens was milling around, like 20, 30 yards from this, this old tom. Old Tom is standing there statuetic. I mean, he ain't making a move. And I'm thinking, what are you going to do, boy? And he's just standing there like a statue. Won't move, nothing. He's just watching this coyote. The coyote runs up to where the hens was, okay, and then starts trailing him like a hound dog on a rabbit. He's got his nose to the ground. He's trailing these hens. And I watched him, and he got directly downwind of these hens, okay? The whole time this Tom is now about 50 yards from that, that coyote, still standing there like a statue, ain't moving. He had a set to him, I tell you that. Um, but that old that old coyote come up to got downwind of those those turkeys, and I could see that he picked up their smell. And he threw his nose in the air, and he's and he's standing there looking into these this this brush. Now the turkeys can't see him, and he can't see the turkeys, but he knows the turkeys are there, the hens. And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to bust tail, and he's going to just charge right into these this brush. Well, he doesn't. What he literally does is he starts heading towards me by about 50, 60 yards, then cuts in the brush above them, and I'm watching him the whole way. He swings down behind them, so now he is absolutely on the up, up on their upwind side, and he made a mad rush in, and son of a gun if he didn't come out with a, uh, with a hen in his mouth, all right? And that got, to me, that got me thinking, why? That's... It's making sense to me now. When an animal in a brushed-in area has bait or lure and they can't see everything around it, 
the first thing they want to do is they want to circle in behind it just to make sure everything's looking good. They don't want to come in on that downward side to the easier side, check out the bait, and then as they're leaving, they're going to go on one of those two trails. Now, I'm going to have a snare set on each one of those trails at the mouth of it. All right? That's that's one set that we'll do. Another set that, that I, I like to uh, do as a baited set is what we call a set post. Now, this this is a harder set to make, but it but it will work on, on foxes especially. I will find a spot. Which, if I can find a spot where they're peeing already, uh, it's great. But if not, uh, try to find a spot where there's a, a, a clump of grass or whatever just off the side of the, tra- uh, the, the path or the field or whatever, and I will put my lure on that on that bush what i will do at that point is usually anywhere from 12 to 18 inches down wind in line with that scent so in other words just imagine this the animal is coming from downwind he picks up the smell of urine okay he's going to circle right in on that smell he's going to circle right in so he can get away for that so he can come up and take a whiz on that thing I want that I want that snare 12 10 12 preferably 12 to 18 inches downwind of that that scent post that clump of grass and I want that I want an 8 inch for foxes I'm going to go with an 8 inch loop about 7 8 inches off the ground so as that fox is coming up that section all right he's looking straight through that loop right at that scent post whether it's an old bone, clump of grass, or whatever. He's coming downwind. He comes up. He goes through it. By the time now he gets up to the the spot, okay, the snare should be starting to fire off. If it doesn't fire off at that point, late rate shoots his leg off and then continues on the forward motion. To make sure he stays in that line, okay, I may put just a, maybe a stick on the ground. Something subtle just to keep him in that line. Um, another thing on that set that I just told you about in, in the grass, I will also put a visual back at that dirt hole. Maybe it's a feather. Maybe it's a uh, whatever, floating. And I, and, and I put that eye attractor so that fox or that coon, when they're looking through the loop, they're looking directly at that, that eye attractor. That keeps their head focused on that on that on that spot to go right through that loop. Making sense? So even on the on the uh, scent post, I'm doing the same thing. He's looking straight through that loop at the at the whatever, maybe a bone, maybe a clump of grass, whatever. The smell is hitting him in the nose, and he just continues straight on through. Why? Because the emphasis was on the smell or the gland or whatever, not on that thing that's closing around his neck. Everybody's quiet. I was waiting to see if he was done. I'm waiting. Okay. I'm done. Um, yeah, because, again, these trapping websites I read, um, one of the guys was talking about what they do um, is, like, they have trails. They'll, like, find a tree branch hanging over or take a branch and hang a tampon with some kind of scent on it, like eight feet up, six, eight feet up. And then have it snare like 10 feet from each side of that so that when they're coming through, they would lift their head up to go into that. Now, to me, that just seemed like a lot of extra work because they're going to run that trail. Why do I need to draw them to it? Well, no, because but, it, it may not be a trail that they're going to actually run. 
In other words, what they're doing at that with that tampon, and, and we've done the same thing with uh, not not tampons, not lately anyway. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, I mean, we've done the same thing where you you need to pull them off that road and and you use you use a skunk lure or something like that. And then, again, here here's something back in the old days. I mean, back when I was a youngster, um, it wasn't uncommon for me to. I hate to say this, but we <laughs> uh, maybe I shouldn't, but I, I'll say it anyway. You know, young married man. Um, there was a there was a uh, 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 an endless supply of used tampons, and and then babies worked. I don't care what anybody said. They they pulled critters in, and we used to throw them down dirt holes for the foot traps. We used to throw them in trees, and same thing, you know, with the foot traps. So. Um, I'm not. I'm not telling everybody to go out and get used tampons, but um, <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, you know, that, catch that, coons and possums <laughs> on you. <laughs> uh, any women, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> but but they they work, and, and and again, it worked for deer hunting too. I mean, um, in the rut, I hate to say this, but them old bucks would come right into that stuff. Um, we, you try not to promote that, and, and if somebody said, "Who's hanging them suckers in the wood?" Nobody would ever admit to it. I thought Rod said too. <laughs> I got a lot of but things I mean, that Rod says to do. <laughs> I, I haven't done that in quite a few years, but but uh, um, you know, it, it can it can work, okay. Um, Again, I didn't say it. I'm going to deny it. <laughs> but but anything, you know, there's a lot of things that are attracted. To, uh, animals are curious. And if you're not putting a negative with that curiosity, it, it'll work. Um, you know, get that seven, eight feet away from that. That that's, that scent is kind of close in that case there if you're going to hang it that high. Because, like you said, that animal's nose is going to be in the air trying to figure out where that animal, where that smell's coming from. So. There's a good possibility he's going to knock that that snare over. Um, well, you want uh, you, when you have you know you have something up high, you need something down low when it gets close exactly. to it, otherwise you won't be exactly. smelling it. You know. So. Years years ago, again, when we just when we first started snaring, I had somebody messing with me. They was I can't remember if they were stealing my snare or pulling it off or what. I can't, I can't quite remember exactly what it was, but I know it picked me off. And um, what I did was one day I, I took a, a snare and I made an eight inch loop about four inches off the ground in a, in a little bit of a brushy spot along this trail where this person knew I was trapping at in that area. And I set this snare, like I said, an eight inch snare about four inches off the ground with the bottom of the loop in this brushy spot. Okay. Knee high brushy type stuff. And on a tree about 20 feet away, 30 feet away, I took a white piece of paper and pinned it to the tree. So there's this, there's this trail, if you will. I can't remember if it was a deer trail or, or what it was, but there was this obvious trail that you could walk through the brush, and there was this white piece of paper on the tree, and I hung that snare. And when I come back the next day, that, that snare was pulled off tighter and snot and, and uh, uh, you know, Bust it all up and all that, and, and I started laughing because I knew I knew I got the guy, all right. And on and the paper 
on the tree was gone. And on that paper on the tree, I wrote, gotcha. Okay. That's, that's the same philosophy that you want to use when you're using a bait or a lure or a sense with, with, with a snare. You want to smell there, but you want a visual with it. You want something that that animal is fixing its eyes on, preferably fixing its eyes on through that loop. So as it's, as it's going through that loop, it's not paying attention to the loop, but paying attention to what it is smell-wise and, and physically, yeah. uh, visibly right in front of it, you know. And you want that snare, yeah, you want that snare far enough away that it comes down and you get your cable lock well before it gets to that spot. That's why, you know, uh, when you're talking in feet, two feet, three feet, is my preferred, except for the except for the um, the um, scent post. I, I I keep that one a little closer. I've actually caught fox as as far as eight inches from it, but again, I've got a lot of uh, snares knocked down because I think they come in and start to turn their body that close. Um, so, you know, another another way to do that scent post is you hang a double snare. That way, you know, you put one 18 inches uh, upwind, you put one 18 inches downwind. That way, if if he's coming from the downwind side and he does blow that snare out of the way or go around that snare, as he's as he's moving on out, you got another chance of getting him in that snare where he's got the where he's not hesitating at this point. He's got a forward motion straight on out, so you can get your uh, cable set. And again, cable set is when the animal comes to the end of that closing of the lock and it and it stops dead okay usually the foxes and coyotes especially and deer unfortunately they make that when that when that snare closes on their neck what do they do they typically go forward so when they go forward okay it kinks the cable that way if you're using a washer lock or you're using a, a positive lock like a slim lock or something like that that once that cable kinks, that lock, I don't care whose lock you're using, it's not coming back. And, Bill, you, you use my, uh, my washer lock a lot. A lot. Um, you know, once that cable lock happens, once that cable set happens, that lock is not coming back, contrary to what guys talk about with the washer lock. Um, the, well, the thing I noticed with the washer locks, all right, versus the other locks, and I've tried a few, and I do like your washer locks, is that even though, but once it kinks, it does, right, it won't back up, but it, like, holds them there. It just doesn't seem to lock up anymore. Right, yes. You know, that's the thing. The other locks, as they keep pulling, it just seems like it keeps moving and moving and moving. Like, for some reason, and I don't know why, and maybe it just might be my critters, it just seems that, yes, it'll kink at the main loop, and then they can sit there and fight, and it just don't lock up anymore. That's just it. That one bend is it. Won't back off anymore, but doesn't seem to tighten up anymore. Right, uh, which keeps your fur damage at a minimal on your on your haunch caught and your belly caught coon. Right, where where a positive lock can keep digging in, and can cause fur fur damage on a on a belly caught coon. and skin damage and intestine damage and everything else. Right, so I mean yeah. that that's that's one of the things with with that. But again, that's we're not talking about locks here. It's just it's the same. It's the mindset. Whenever. Uh, Use what um, can't smell worse than kryptonite. <laughs> um, I'm not talking about nude stuff on this thing. Uh, <laughs> loaded. <laughs> but, you know, again, that's the same thing. You're going to use, you know, 
again, going back to the sending practices, um, you're using one smell load to the ground. It's going to flow. It's going to roll along the ground. Its nose is going to be there. You're going to use another higher a higher scent, which is going to be your call scent. It's going to reach out further. And one of the things you're going to have is this. The animal picks up that call lure. Maybe it's kryptonite. Maybe it's whatever, my long call fish oil, whatever. All right. He's picking that up. His nose is high to the ground. As that at six feet, seven feet, typically on a normal wind, that smell, that odor on the downwind side will be dropping probably about 10, 15 feet, maybe 20 feet on a wind and hitting the ground. So that, that animal is picking that smell up. He's going to come in at about that 12-foot uh, mark. That odor now is floating over his head. He's now out of that, that scent cone, okay? Now the odor from the ground comes into effect, and he picks up the different odor floating out of the hole or the, or the tampon or whatever that's sitting on the ground there. All right, now you pick up that second odor there, and that, what that does to the animal is it brings him now into even more of a, um, uh, what's that word, excitement or, or curiosity or something like that. If he's a canine, he's probably going to swing downwind. Okay, he's probably going to swing downwind uh, or go up, you know, go upwind of it and come in on that direction. A coon, he's just going to keep on barreling through. And I might add, um, I have a, a, a double uh, PVC set that just works like a champ on, on, on a coon. You take that coon and you take two PVCs and six, eight feet apart, you put them into the bank, you put bait in each one, and you hang the snare right in the middle of it. And that coon just barrels right there. He goes at first when he sees the second PVC sticking out of the bank and just run straight on down and goes right through your snare. And it's, it's and again, you know, you got to have a little blocking. You got to make sure he's going to stick to the blocking, but but it works like a champ on that one. Well, we're going on two hours and fifteen minutes. Mike, you got anything else to add? When you were talking about washer locks crimping up, I didn't think uh, like the ADC washer locks crimp up. Mine or or somebody else's. Well, it's just the ones I've used, the ones that are the ones, the ADC ones that are bent all the way, and the uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it's the uh, the straight washer lock that's got that's got a ninety degree bend on them. Well, no, they they got over a ninety, and the whole the the cable goes through the hole in the middle of the washer. Oh, reverse bend you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, reverse yeah, bend. Yeah, and, uh, and it seems yeah. like it has a very straight pull on it, and it's never kinked up. You can always just pull you can always easily back the thing off yeah it's the same thing with my super relax my super relax you can get it past the kink i mean if the animal's fighting the hard and it kinks up a coyote's going to kink up whatever you got i mean a coyote is just going to make whatever cable you have look bad uh foxes i've seen foxes on on some sets that you couldn't even i mean the cable was messed up a little bit and you couldn't use it again but it wasn't frayed or or anything like that on a washer lock um same thing with a, a slim. I like slim locks too, and and I like uh, micro locks. So um, I just happen to like so my. Why do you like better. them over others? Uh, they just slide nice. I, I like I like yeah. a snare on a one by nineteen that when you fire it off on a downward trigger, that it's it's mm-hmm. hurting your knuckles when it hits it, and and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that. Again, though, when yeah. you look at my snare, I have a loop at the bottom of mine. 
I don't have a bend in my in my cable. And the, and the reason I put the loop in there is twofold. Number the original reason I have the loop in there was if you caught a stinking cat or you caught an animal in somebody's yard that, and you know, say if I'm catching them raccoons and, and they won't go into a cage, upset snares for the son of guns. Now you got him in a snare. Now you put a snare pole on him, you got to get him into a cage strap or a groundhog or whatever. Trying to figure out where to cut this cable on an animal that's trying to bite you is like a pain in the butt. So by putting that loop on the bottom of the lock, whether it's a slim lock, uh, micro, or my super attached, it gives me something to grab. Okay, I, I can see it. I can find it. And then I know if I cut that loop, it's it's like a breakaway. So if, so if it was an animal I'm turning loose, non-target, I can simply cut that loop, let the animal go. When the animal hits the end of that cable, bing, it's gone, and he keeps on running. My lock, my cable, everything is still with me. All right. That was the original reason we did that. But after making that loop, we also noticed that on whatever lock you have, it's like a two-part lock system. You get no, you get no binding. In other words, everybody who's made snares knows that if it, it just takes one little wrong bend on the end of that cable, and your your snare's shot. It, it's it's bad. It doesn't fire right. It doesn't work right. By us putting that loop in there with a double furl. All right, I now have a non-binding hinge there. So as the animal's pushing through, whether it's a downward trigger or, or a swing-out trigger, that loop now is moving freely with the lock, so the lock isn't binding up. The lock is moving with the, with the, on the cable. Um, that, that's why we do that. It's just, it's, it's just a, a, a free-running um, uh, lock. Why most guys don't like it is because you're using a double furl. All right, you got to crimp that double furl, and they think it's unsightly, and they think they don't like. You still there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. You there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got my battery I'm decided talking. to go. Uh, did so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had to plug in. I thought we were going to be on for an hour. We're on for two two hours plus. So, we're you know, we're, we're going on we're going on two and a half hours. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I thought forty percent charge would have been plenty, but it wasn't quite enough. So. Yeah, right. right. So. Well, Jason or Bill, you got anything to add? Guess ten, eight, and nine is still hanging with us. Um, <laughs> so no, I'm amazed. I'll, at this. I'll wait till next show to bring up the Mink and Muskrat snare in questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of questions for you. <laughs> One of these days, I might learn something, and Tammy won't care that I spend all this money. <laughs> you, you just keep the, you just keep the glands coming. That's all I care oh, about. Oh, one thing, I, one little bit of advice I will say. You guys keep mentioning about using the sweet baits and all that stuff. I used to go get the day old donuts, and because yeah. I could get a shopping bag for three bucks, it caused my sugar to go to over three fifty. So if you're going to use them, put them in the back of the truck, not on the front seat. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, I used to have to. Stuff like that, I have to roll on the ground so I don't get tempted. <laughs> yeah. put, put, put a little sand on it, you know. I will say you I know. did catch a few more coons since I stopped eating all their bait. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope this show wasn't a bunch of rattling on. I hope something uh, guests that I can't see. I don't know if it was any good of a show or or a great show, bad show, suck show, whatever. But. Uh, it went a long time, any old hell. It always so, does. A lot of stuff was covered, any old hell. I had to charge up the house phone for three hours so I could use that instead of the cell phone. 
right, I'm out of here. I'll see you guys All right, later. Jason, take it easy. Mike, thank you for coming on. And guests, yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah. We're going to hang up now. And, and uh, I'll thank you guys. I want to thank everybody for listening to Rednecks Pride Outdoors. I want to thank God for giving us uh, the creation and allowing us to uh, hunt, trap, and fish in it. See you all later. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.